Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. That means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas at Manila Chan. Why do I get a Manila in there now? Why is it? Why didn't you keep it short to the Thomas and Chan? Chan? I don't know. For some reason, Manila sounded more <laughs> something. I don't know. It flowed better. <laughs> oh, you're poking fun because you was like, Chan is just, that right. single syllable just doesn't work. Like and all of a sudden, syllable. I switched it. Now it's like Manila Chan. That's four. Yeah. And now, then, which one sounds better to you? I think we, for brevity, we go with, we'll just stick with Chan. I have to get used to just the Chan part. You don't have to. It's whatever you want. Well, it can't be Thomas and Manila because... No, it can't be Thomas and Manila, but right. it can't be Thomas and Manila Chan. But that's up to you. I, I, I can go <laughs> We're back... We're still deciding, folks. We can go back to the Chan if we want. You pointed this out. I know. <laughs> so... Trying to find the right ring. Yeah. Just like the viewers and listeners helped us land on Fixin' a Veritas and Thriller in Manila. They were like, why not have both? Let the, okay, we'll let the, the viewers truce. We'll let the rumblers... Do you want it to be Manila Chan or just Chan? Right. Thomas and Chan or the whole name? I'm agnostic towards it, more or less. I'm kind of, I'm I'm open. Just like I was open to, you know, the whole tagline. So we've got to talk about the big news. The Met Gala? Not the gala. (laughs) Not the gala. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. I mean, because that's... That is, yeah, that's pretty bad. The level of tone deafness of that is pretty astonishing. And that probably would be the topic um, in regards to hypocrisy and everything oh, else. Oh, but wait, we got we to gotta, we gotta wish all of our Muslim friends out there Eid Mubarak to our Muslim friends. That's Eid right. is over. Fasting time is over. Chow down. Your chat, well, no, they get the chow down all through, uh, all through Ramadan mm-hmm. in the evenings. So now their big dinners oh, are, are over. Fast. At this point. But they fast all day. Right. They get their big dinners every night. Interesting. And it's a smorgasbord if you've ever been to to iftar dinners. Mm-mm. Oh, my gosh. No. Um, Holy cow. Just amazing food all over the place. Just full spread. Table, like table to table. Every inch of table is covered with food. Wow. But I mean, hey, you've been fasting all day. Yeah. So. No, I, I do get it. I do yeah. get it. I do get it. So I mean, it's kind of like, what is it? It's not Easter. It's like... um. They do have something like that in Christianity where they would fast over the course of the day and then eat and eat them, but not like that. It's not that spread and everything else. It's just kind of... Right. And I don't even know how it's many people do nice, it. It's just a nice, like so. a nice Easter lunch, brunch, dinner. Easter, yeah. Easter. It's not like that, though. Yeah. That's a spread. Yeah, that's no, a spread. The big news this morning, draft decision overruling Roe v. Wade would remake the abortion landscape. Now, this has never happened before. And look, it's not necessarily finalized, but I'll just read it. A leaked draft opinion indicating the Supreme Court has voted to overturn Roe v. Wade, the landmark decision that guaranteed abortion access, sent immediate shockwaves throughout the United States as many Americans brace for a future without the Reproductive Act that has been established nearly a half of century. Hold and keep those clothes hangers, especially if you're in the South and if you're in the Middle East, because you are going to need them considering that they may be getting rid of this. Yes, that, that is definitely the top headline of the day, but we have to tell the listeners, Jamaral, that this is this is not the final ruling. Correct. We cannot confirm independently that this is what's happening. Exactly. This is supposedly 
leaked opinion from Justice Alito. And they can still talk and still come right. to a different conclusion. Right. Because Obamacare, for a while, the rumor is, and it's more than rumor, that Obamacare had been scuttled. That for mm-hmm. a while, yeah. you had a situation where they had basically voted to kill Obamacare. Mm-hmm. But I think it was Roberts didn't necessarily like this idea of killing the black president's main achievement. Meaning right. his name is on he it. Didn't, right. He didn't want that kill to, it. He yeah. didn't want it to be on his shoulders right. and be like. He was like, oh, that looks bad. Conservative Supreme Court gutting it. Right. And so then he was like, OK, it's a tax. Old white a, Supreme Court. Yes. Senior justice. Destroying. Destroying the, the first black president's main agenda. Yes. I don't want that on my shoulders. I don't want that on my conscience, dog. Okay, it's a tax. It's a tax. We can deal with it as a tax. (laughs) And then you get, um, what's his name? I can't think of his name. The one that basically died. That basically died? That recently died. I can't think of his name. The conservative Supreme Court member. Oh, uh. It'll come to me. I can see him. I had him. Yeah, Antonin Scalia. Antonin Scalia. Scalia was like, dude, and was going after him to basically say, no, kill it, kill it, kill it. That was the back and forth between these guys over. I guess my point is. Yes, it's a draft. No, a draft is not the same thing as an actual ruling on it. Right. So just be aware. So However, just, this did not go down. Yeah, but easy. here's here's the thing to consider, Jamal. If this if this truly was the way the conservative court was leaning to rule. Yeah. And whoever leaked this, whoa. Yeah. Um, but oh, we fact, gotta get into that part the, too. The fact that it is leaked, I wonder. If that'll have any impact or effect That's the question. on the final ruling, because now, I mean, they, the, the justices have to know that there was going to be outrage oh, yes. all over this country and there was going to be backlash. Uh-huh. But do you think that impacts whatever they would, if this was it, would rule? I would say whoever leaked it thought so, or at the very least they thought. Right. Do you think this is a deterrent is what I mean? I don't know. I mean, if if they really did full will, you see, it's hard to tell. I mean, sometimes you do stuff not because you can foresee the outcome. You do it because you foresee the outcome for not doing anything. Meaning it's like, okay, I'm going to lose this game if I just kind of stay what it is. So I'm going to sacrifice this night. Unpredictable consequences, but the unpredictable consequences are better than just going through with basically losing the game. And just knowing that that, losing if this is your belief. Yes, correct. This is a, a huge. This would be a huge yeah. victory for if, a lot of if, a lot of Christians and a lot of conservatives. Republicans, that's right. If you are a Democrat and you are, let's say, um, I know Democrats court- that are against the, against uh, abortion rights. Oh, I know none. All of them are rabid. Very for few. It. Yeah. Very, very few. Though. And so for them, it's almost like sacrosanct with value sure. set. And so it's like if that's you and you're working in the court and you see that document, what do you do? What do you do? And is it like? I need to let people know. In the same way that you have all of these people who are just ideologically against it on the right, you have people who are ideologically for it on the left. And in their heads, I have a higher objective to secure the rights of women of their choice, which means whatever my job is, it matters less than getting this out so the public can know what this court is about to do. Meaning this is, could potentially be their way of trying to stop and influence right, the court. Scuttle, of yeah. course. My bigger question, because this the leak happened, mm-hmm. the milk has been spilt. That's right. But protests, all the good stuff. Bigger question is, whoever leaked this, I wonder if they will be prosecuted like Julian Assange. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, you've got to explore at least. But that's the assuming idea. they get caught. Right. That's assuming they get caught. I, there, I, I mean, would, there's. I imagine there's only got to be a limited number of people that would have access uh-huh. to Samuel Alito's documents. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, come on. I agree with you. 
How many clerks can the man possibly have? I agree with you. Like, this was submitted to Politico. Right. Um, and I imagine it's a young clerk. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't want to blame anyone. I'd look for every Democrat who doesn't work for any of those clerks. But that is, a, like, I read that and I was like, I knew it. Because my, my conception was the moment that these guys get on the Supreme Court, they're going to take the opportunity to do it. Otherwise, why? They are clearly ideological actors. I also thought I mean, it's if a you six do to that, three court, so. it's a six, right. And my thought was, on top of that, look, if you get a situation where they do this, Democrats, this will be the Democrats' only chance. The Democrats will be begging Republicans to go too far on Roe v. Wade. Because oh, so they get have a win in November? Or get a chance for a win. Again, this, for right. me, well, this is not... Um, this is the chessboard and, yeah, and, and it's, sacrificing. Yeah, it's not a clear-cut stuff. It's kind of like, if we don't do anything, what happens? And then you have somebody who destabilizes the game with something. In this case, this is a destabilization well, of a game where Republicans would have just ran the table. Hold on, let me take this the other way on the conservative conservative side uh-huh. is how do we know this isn't what rallies the base with conservatives? Conservatives that felt down and out uh-huh. a year ago, two years ago. How do we know that this isn't the thing that causes celebration across this country and gives them the momentum to ride that huge red tidal wave uh-huh. expected to come in November? So, don't know. I don't know. I mean, I get the feeling that all things been equal, they were going to sail to victory in the House and the Senate. Yeah. I, I thought I they were going to just so crush. I think that was true. Yeah. I think, I think <laughs> because Democrats were screwing up on their own. Yeah, they were so demoralized. <laughs> it was like the only thing conservatives need to do is just stand there. Just stand there. We're just waiting for November. Wear your suit. Just wait for November. And so it's like, if the court, I, I did a monologue saying, Democrats are praying Republicans to get rid of Roe v. Wade. Praying for it. Maybe. Maybe. But I think this could also be looked at on the other side where this is like a huge wind in their sails mm-hmm. and they're just now they're really sailing I guess my thing is they already have wind in their sails I mean yeah I think so but I, I think for a lot of Republicans I think they they wanted this big moral oh, yes. victory not again it hasn't been decided right but for Republicans to hear it yeah. if this turns out that way I think a lot of Republicans are going to feel re-energized and even more excited, and the base is really, really going to be rallying. Oh, uh, we'll see. I am very skeptical. All right, all right. Let's let, let's let's get the headlines. Let's, let's get through the headlines. Yeah, yeah, Obviously, yeah. you just heard that first major right. big headline. <laughs> right, right, you right. Know, this Roe v. Wade decision <laughs> from January of 1973, very possible, very possible to be overturned um, from the document that was authored by Justice Samuel Alito. Uh, it's a, an initial draft majority opinion. And so it would would effectively revoke federal abortion practices and give the power back to the state level. Now, in other news, starting on Monday, the Navy began to move approximately 260 sailors that were living aboard the USS Washington to, quote, off-site barracks-style living arrangements on the Norfolk Naval Shipyard in Portsmouth according to an announcement reviewed by military.com. Leadership with the nuclear-powered aircraft carrier, which since 2017 has remained dry-docked in Virginia for maintenance and modernization, will now begin offering temporary off-ship housing for sailors following a series, a string of sailor deaths, accompanying complaints about working and living conditions aboard the vessel. So that's 
Yeah, a lot of strange deaths uh, in the Navy lately. In international news, Israel has summoned Russian ambassador to Israel Anatoly Viktorov on Monday over Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov's comments about Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and Adolf Hitler. The foreign minister, Yair Lapid, called the comments, quote, unforgivable and outrageous and a terrible historic mistake, adding that, quote, the Jews did not murder themselves in the Holocaust. Now, Lapid went on to suggest that on the base level of racism against Jews uh, to, is to blame the Jews themselves for anti-Semitism. And then Taiwanese authorities are searching for a stopgap alternative to U.S. sourced M109A6, better known as those self-propelled howitzers amid delays to deliveries because Taiwan wants their orders. Uh, that's according to the Ministry of National Defense. Quote, in response to media reports on the case of the M109A6 self-propelled guns arms sale, the Ministry of National Defense... Uh, said that the arms purchases by Taiwan was crowded out in the production line. The U.S. side informs us that this system will not be delivered to the Republic until 2026 at the earliest. Now, take a guess as to why the production line is backed up. You know, this little thing called Ukraine. That's where all the howitzers are going. So Taiwan is not going to get this stuff for a good number of years. And in tech news, the EU Commission issued a statement of objections to Apple on Monday over the U.S. tech giant's supposedly abusive practices in the field of mobile wallet technology. The company has been using its, quote, dominant position in the market to bar third-party services from accessing software and hardware on its devices facilitating contactless payments. That's according to a filed document. And in Earth and Science News, the number of children affected by an undocumented acute hepatitis of unknown origin is continuing to rise around the world, having now made its way to Denmark. The State Serum Institute, SSI, reported a total of six cases with... Sufferers ranging from between ages 2 and 14. Although known viruses may be the cause, experts say the evidence still doesn't add up as the disease doesn't follow the pattern of most common forms of hepatitis ranging from A to E. Then in business news, the U.S. Federal Reserve is expected to make its biggest interest rate hike of the century when its May meeting adjourns on Wednesday. That's tomorrow, folks, so we might be standing by for some big news. <clears throat> As it takes a firmer stance against the depreciating value of the U.S. dollar. The Board of Governors is expected to rate its benchmark short-term interest rate, uh, also called the federal funds rate, by half a percentage point when its rate-setting meeting ends. That's according to the AP. If so, it'll be the largest increase since the year 2000 when the Fed struggled to rein in the bursting dot-com spec bubble. Then this day in history, 1913, the first Indian full-length full feature is premiered. 1913, I think that was before sound. 
Okay. I think, right? Yeah, 1913 was silent film. I'm not sure. I believe so. I believe so. I should know better. I mean, I grew up in Hollywood, no, not in Hollywood, but they used to take us on field trips to, I mean, that's what you do when you're from LA. They take yeah. you to like movie sets. <laughs> then in 1958, Truman Capote's book, Breakfast at Tiffany's is published. 1978, the Digital Equipment uh, Corporation sends the world's first spam email. 1978. Nice. <laughs> first nice. spam. I wonder if that's worth anything. Oh, I'd like that's to see That's a good it. point. That's a good point. I mean, the first whatever is always worth a lot. Yeah. The And then in 1979, Margaret Thatcher is elected the first British female prime minister. Lady. Yeah, that's right, Iron Lady. In 1999, a tornado produces the highest wind speeds ever recorded. And that is your headlines for, what is this, Tuesday, May 3rd? You're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. May 3rd, we're hurtling through the month already. I know, right? It feels like this year has just started. I know. Well, but look, you guys are listening to Fault Lines, Thomas, Chan, Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Vanilla Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM and 1390 AM. We're also kicking around to Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, slam that rumble button or hit that like button, depending upon the platform. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make the show what it is, so definitely don't be shy. I got to be honest, hitting the news this morning with the abortion thing, I feel like it has to be something on that. My expectation, believe it or not, was that they were going to go after abortion. I mean, the entire point in the fight for the issue of the Supreme Court often boils down to protecting certain vital things, the Democrats anyway, and those vital things in some cases has to do with abortion. Now, my ruling and one of my other monologues kind of made the point that Democrats have gotten themselves in such a horrendous situation in regards to the way that the public perceives them as being incompetent, having an inability to get things done, incompetent on the issue of foreign policy, on the issue of economics. I mean, even when they were taking those tests or those evaluations where people would give their takes, Biden was like 15 points underwater on one issue after the next, according to the Republican Party. They were going to run the table coming up in the midterms. My point was that Democrats are praying, praying that Republicans go too far on the issue of Roe v. Wade, as opposed to letting it ride into after the midterms. You get everything you want when you let it ride to after the midterms. But these are ideological actors. And ideological actors are not going to care about the long-term consequences of the things that they're doing, or for that matter, the political consequences or political backlash. It's an ideological choice. In their heads, abortion is wrong. God hates abortion. This notion of a woman's choice doesn't matter in the context of God hating abortions. And because of such, if you get the opportunity to kill it for 50 years, if you get the opportunity, take it. And in this case, it seems that they are going to take it. 
For all of those people that used to argue, well, there's no way they're going to do it. Amy Coney Barrett is not going to do it. She never said that that's what she was going to do on the thing. Or Justice um, Roberts never said he was going to do that. Um, doesn't matter what they said. Nobody is going to sit there in Congress and tell you exactly what they're going to do when they get on that bench. I have no idea why anybody believes that's going to be the case. If they have a history of saying things that are for it, I would trust that a lot more. And it was very clear that many of the people that were coming on that bench were coming on that bench being against abortion. Republicans were always going to throw that stuff at the Supreme Court knowing they had a majority, an overwhelming majority, on that court. And that given the opportunity, the court will follow through. It's an overreach. Doesn't matter. It's an overreach. So the question becomes what happens? Now, coming up, the Democrats are probably they're going to come out. And they're going to be waving their hands. They're going to be bashing and swinging their fists. But internally, they're going to say, yes, thank God. Yes, yes, kill it, kill it. That's what they're going to be saying. Because what they know is what that I know, that a demoralized public was never going to come out in order to put those guys back in office. But a public that is angry, that is upset, that believes that this is existential, especially from the standpoint of liberals and even some conservative women that are not going to like that they're going this far. Those people who were demoralized, who looked at Joe Biden and say he has utterly and entirely failed, who said inflation is going through the roof, who said this Afghanistan thing was a complete and utter collapse and a calamity and Joe Biden is responsible for it, that all of these people that basically died from COVID, that this war that he are getting closer to, they're going to look at all of that and say that matters less. It matters less than ensuring my right to choice, which is what this is going to basically fall down on. Yes, in Midwest, you may get Republicans holding it, and they're going to make all sorts of rules and laws going after and curtailing women's right to choice. There will be a backlash for that. Democrats will be there receiving that backlash with open arms. Same thing on issues of, let's say, even on the East, and West Coast. Yes, those particular, let's say societies, so those particular cities and states will probably protect abortion because again, this is somewhat of a democratic issue in this case, but it will still energize them in a way that that energy would have never existed prior. I am not the only one that knows that. Democrats themselves also know that even though they may not necessarily come out and say that. The only chance that they had in order for keeping the House and the Senate was for something to take place external to the political space. And yeah, you could say this is in a political space, but all things being equal, this is in the Supreme Court that's going to have political consequences. My point, my main point, is that this is an overreach. Now, there are situations where you are willing to give things in order to get other things, especially on issues of momentum, where you could say, yes, I'm willing to sacrifice X because I'm going to get a minimum for Y that is going to allow me to get something that I want and I can always go back to recoup X. Now, if we're talking about the left and we're talking about, you know, certain policies where you're like, I'm going to let that particular person lose. Because fact of the matter is the Supreme Court shouldn't be the only reason and rationale for you to put a particular president in office. Think about that. That is basically where it lands most of the time. Hey, I know you don't like that guy. I know that guy is not going to fulfill your interests politically and from a legal standpoint. However, don't you want to protect the Supreme Court? And if it lands on that, as a lefty, got to be willing to let that go. You cannot let that fear quotient be the only thing that stops you from trying to pursue your political objectives. That requires a certain degree of sacrifice. 
Now, the sacrifice is not necessarily bad if you can get momentum for that sacrifice where you can pursue and push your own political objectives. But that is not what happened. What ended up happening was Sanders failed. Democrats failed. Hillary Clinton lost. Trump gets the court. And Biden takes over. But Biden doesn't get his agendas accomplished, meaning, yes, you lost the Supreme Court from the standpoint of Trump. But when you get Biden in, you're still not able to get your agenda passed. And so during the Biden administration, because the Supreme Court is set, they may very well end Roe v. Wade. And if Biden ends up losing again with Republicans taking the House and the Senate in spite of this, then not only would they have gotten their Roe v. Wade, they would have the House, the Senate, the Supreme Court, and likely the presidency, all with Roe v. Wade in hand. This could be utterly and entirely disastrous for the Democratic Party. So the question becomes now, what? happens moving forward? And is this going to be enough to galvanize a public that, again, on some level sees reproductive rights as existential? Will this galvanize them? Will this get them out? Will this get them excited? Maybe not for Democrats as a party, but definitely for Democrats as a device that could basically stand in and hold back the night, either in their state or from a federal standpoint. As a country, we are going backwards. It is embarrassing. Will they vote in Democrats just to prevent the backwash or the backlash um, or the backstep? What do you think? Like, is this a situation where, well, I guess two questions. Is this the only thing that could have came up that gives Democrats even a chance, a whisper of a chance to try to, let's say, retain power in the House and the Senate, or at the very least keep one? Is there anything else that would have come up that would have given them I guess you could say this um, secondary objective or secondary chance where the public may actually gravitate towards them in order to prevent them from doing this thing. Because I can't think of anything else that would have provided this level of energy, potential energy, let's say it that way, into the Democratic coffers. I'm at a loss for thinking anything else that would have had this level of an effect or potential effect associated with it. Uh, One, I don't necessarily think that this will be the galvanizing thing for the party. I'm I'm sure it it won't hurt. I'm, I'm sure it'll piss off enough people that they'll have. Some, sorry, I can't help but to laugh. Tomorrow's making a face. Oh, sorry. That's <laughs> he's, making, you know, he's having horrible tea and he's still drinking it. I think we should, yeah. <laughs> we should bring, I, I need to need to let the listeners know what's happening. <laughs> but I don't necessarily think this is going to be the one galvanizing thing mm-hmm. um, because there is another thing they, that could be overturned that SCOTUS granted is, is gay marriage. Interesting. I mean, if so, if they if they weigh in on that, I don't I don't even know how you bring that. To, yeah, to the Supreme Court. <laughs> to yeah. the Supreme Court. But I mean, I get how it got there. But now that it, you know, the the court ruled on it, I don't know how you would bring that one back to life. Yeah. You know, pull that out of the crypt, and then I, I don't know how you bring that one back to life. But the abortion thing, that has obviously been something that, I mean, for the better part of the twentieth century, was the argument, mm-hmm. right? And that was like. The a staple of the DNC talking points, and also on the other side, conversely, a staple of the RNC talking points. Yeah, that was their fight. That was that was always the fight. Yeah. Which I I don't understand why a woman's uterus is anybody's business, <laughs> right? Like I'm I'm personally myself, I'm personally not into abortion. Haven't done it. Wouldn't do it. But I also don't judge other people. Because I'm not in their shoes. And, and it's not the government's business what happens in my uterus. Right. That's the way I view it. It's just 
every woman, every, every body. This, I mean, but this is applicable to how they treated COVID. Our bodies, our choices. So it should be applicable straight across the board. If they didn't want the vaccine, that's, that's our body. You don't tell us what to do. And if you want an abortion, that's on you. If you don't want an abortion, also on you. If you don't want to get married, get gay married, don't get gay married. <laughs> Pretty simple. Leave everybody alone and the government should stay out of our personal lives. That's, Leave them to their devices, basically. I think, I mean, that's our personal freedoms, our personal choices. I think it's pretty common sense, which is not very common these days because everybody lives in this ideological world. And if we continue to live in those ideological worlds, we will never find a way forward to advance society and to move together and accomplish the bigger things. Like, oh, I don't know. How about food insecurity? How about not bombing the hell out of each other? Yeah. But we keep this stupid fighting of, well, a woman's body is a place for the patriarchy to tell us, to tell them what they can do with it because that body belongs to me. Like, does it? And then at the moment where the kid is born, nobody cares. Right, then nobody cares. Nobody cares. You're stuck with it on your That's, own, figure it out, et cetera. Yeah, it's, a, it's an astonishing slap in the face. It's that, like, we want you to have, we, you must right. have that kid. I mean, here in Virginia, they went so far as to say, okay, if you're going to have an abortion, then you need to go and get a transvaginal ultrasound that you need to pay for, and you need to look at the screen to make a decision. I mean, they were doing all of this stuff basically to try to punish and shame women who get abortions. It's astonishing. Um, yeah, it's a woman's choice. The notion that the state is going to come in and tell them that you must do X or Y, and then the moment that you have the kid, we don't want to have anything to do with the kid. Right. It's disturbing. It's just, it's not something I personally would do. Yeah. And I think a lot of, there are a lot of people like me. There's a lot that, of stuff I won't personally do. It's right. none of my business. Right. It's none of my business to, to, to force anybody, like my will on anybody else. I think a lot of people in America feel the same way I do, that they're like, well, you know, that's a tough choice. Abortion's not really my jam, but who am I to judge what you do with your own personal life? And I think not enough people like me come out and say that. And people are coerced to go one way or the other. Either you're, you know, you're pro-women's choice, you're pro-abortion, and, you know, you're, you're going to ruin my life if I have to have this baby. Or you're on the other side where you're going, oh, Christian values, Puritan. God hates and, this. <laughs> like, yes, God right. does not want this. You know, it's one way or the other. That's not true. There are people in the middle that, are God-fearing, but also understand that maybe those aren't your feelings. These are mine, and I'm not going to impose my will or my feelings or my thoughts on you. Your separate body, my separate body, I like tattoos. Maybe the other person doesn't like tattoos. They shouldn't be forced to get a tattoo. I'm, maybe, well, you're I'm talking, we're two people with tattoos, <laughs> so that's very different. But again, it's the same type of thing. If they're going to outlaw tattoos, why? It's, why is me getting a tattoo, have, why does that have any bearing on your life? Yeah, and this gets into the whole uterus stuff, which is even right. that much more. The invasive. uterus thing is just, yeah. just but, off limits, man. Bodies are off limits. Thought lines. Thomas, Chan, back in a moment. Fault lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. And we have 
Basically, we've been covering what has been taking place in the EU, the United States, and Ukraine. And yesterday, or let's say today, the EU is preparing a Russian oil sanction, even though they all understand that there will be consequences to the various consumers and to the various constituents in their local communities over these sanctions. We have a conversation about this and other issues that are taking place in Europe, not to mention Ukraine. We're joined with George Samueli. He's a senior research fellow at the Global Policy Institute. George, welcome to the show. How are you doing this morning? Very well, thank you. How are you? So far, so good. Better that you are with us. And so I was reading this yesterday. The European Union was is preparing sanctions on Russian oil. This was yesterday on Monday with possible exemptions for worried countries and warned that complying in full measure or in full will Moscow propose scheme to receive gas payment of rubles will breach existing sanctions. Now, I thought that up to this point, they had basically agreed that they were going to accept the rubles and that those things did not necessarily breach sanctions. And even with the notion of the UK giving, let's say, a pass on this and allowing it, I thought this was something that they basically decided upon. Yes, we're going to phase out, but in the short term, we're going to accept because of the massive economic consequences that we're basically going to have to deal with if we try to eliminate Russian gas, and for that matter, even oil, if it's too soon. What is going on with this? Explain um, for us what's going on. It's not at all clear what is going on. Um, the, they've imposed these uh, wave after wave of uh, sanctions, but of course, the European economy cannot just go without uh, oil and gas just like that. So they've tried to uh, fudge all kinds of things. And, um, of course, they are paying in rubles. I mean, they, you know, they, they, they may say, oh, well, we're not, we're not going to do it. It's a violation of contract and no question. But they are paying in rubles. And, then, and the Hungarian government has actually said that, that although Hungary has openly said, we will pay for um, uh, gas uh, in rubles. But they've also said, as have other EU countries because they have no other choice. I mean, the Russians have made clear that um, if you don't pay uh, in rubles, you will not get any gas. And there is a reason for that, which is you know, the, the, the uh, Western countries seized um, Russia's uh, foreign exchange reserves, and therefore there's absolutely no point in Russia continuing to be paid in dollars and euros since they will be seized uh, immediately as soon as the payment is made. So that's why the Russians have said you have to pay in rubles. And so for the Europeans to say, no, 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 we're not going to pay in rubles. Well, then, you know, the, the Russians aren't just going to give it away for free. <laughs> so they, they, they create all sorts of fudge mechanism. Well, we're not really violating sanctions, but in fact, the mechanism that the Russians have put in place, which is you open an account in the Gazprom bank, um, you deposit uh, your payment in euros, and then you authorize Gazprom to uh, transfer the uh, euros into rubles. Well, that's it. <laughs> that's exactly what Putin proposed, and you are paying in rubles. So, uh, but you know, I think a lot of it is this for media consumption to pretend that somehow um, uh, the EU is still adhering to its uh, sanctions policy. No, no, we're, we're not going to uh, play Putin's game. Because they took, what, $300 billion from uh, reserves from Russia at this point. And when you're looking at it, I was looking at the amount of oil right here. Russia supplies 40% of EU gas, 20%, 26% of its oil imports. How are they going to replace 40% of their gas, not to mention they've been buying more gas. I mean, yeah, they've been buying more gas recently, which has increased the amount of revenue that Russia has basically been getting off of this. So what are they talking about as a means of increasing or 
let's say, supplying 40% of their gas and 26% of their oil, and to do so within the course of, what, a couple of months? Well, George, aren't they, aren't they doing that? Aren't they having more demand right now, at least the Germans, because they are playing third-party broker? Right. They're, they're a used car salesman. They're selling back Russian gas to the Ukrainians because the Ukrainians refuse, or not just the Poland. Ukrainians, yeah. Poland, excuse me. Uh, th- but they were doing that with Ukraine. Ukraine was doing that through Poland the other way around before, which is hilarious. It's, how, but, are they, how are they going to replace this? They can't. They can't replace it. I mean, the whole point is that energy, of all industries uh, that, that, that exist, energy is the one that is basically a long-term process. It's a long-term investment. It takes a long time to invest in um, uh, in new pipelines, to build uh, pipelines. It takes a long time to build new refineries. Uh, you can't just convert you know, one refinery, which is applicable to one kind of oil, and use that refinery for a completely different kind of oil. Just like power stations. The power stations are built uh, to uh, take one kind of coal. They're not going to take another kind. So the notion that you can switch over in a couple of months is laughable. And apart from anything else, you know, countries like Qatar and uh, Saudi Arabia, they're not just going to uh, churn out, uh, you know, vast quantities of uh, oil uh, to make up for the uh, Russian exports. You know, again, they don't have the the capacity to do so and they don't have the will to do so. So it's a total fantasy world that somehow that all of this gas um, uh, imports uh, that Germany relies on can just be replaced in a couple of months by uh, liquefied natural gas coming from the United States and Qatar. It, it's nonsensical. And, um, and, and, of course, German industrialists know that it's nonsensical. But uh, the German government, you know, particularly with this uh, uh, foreign minister, Adelina Baerbock, they, they, they continue to peddle this uh, nonsense, which has absolutely no bearing on reality. How on earth? Is Germany, the economic powerhouse of Europe, just going to switch over from uh, its uh, gas and oil import and, and, and become reliant on Qatar? I mean, it can't happen. But, you know, who knows? Maybe in the fantasy world of Annalena Baerbock, I mean, you know, maybe she thinks it can happen. George, a- another thing I'd like to touch on is the recent trip led by Nancy Pelosi yes. and and a whole handful of her fellow Democrats, and it was all purely Democrats, I should note, that went to Ukraine and then on to Poland. Um, Nancy Pelosi went there and she literally thanked Volodymyr Zelensky for the war. I'm not sure how to read that, but when you think about this a little further, if, okay, I, I understand that they're in Kiev and the fighting has moved to the Donbass and it's relatively safe. But still, Ukraine is a country at war. There is a hot war happening there. You have the woman that is second in line to become president of the United States of America, leading a delegation of American statesmen to a hot war zone. God forbid, I mean, thankfully nothing happened, but God forbid should something have happened that would have dragged the United States into an all-out war with Russia. Why did she risk life and limb, potentially, to go make this statement, to go, make, to go accept the Princess Olga Award and then thank him for 
being in a war? Why would she put the United States at risk of having to potentially return fire directly between U.S. and Russia to go to Kiev? Well, because um, ultimately they don't really believe that uh, Russia will um, make these um, attacks um, at at a time when uh, foreign leaders are visiting Kiev. I mean, Russia has been very tolerant, very civilized in its uh, approach to the war. I mean, you had Boris Johnson uh, wandering around Kiev um, with Zelensky a couple of weeks ago. The Russians have not done what uh, the United States would have done in the similar circumstances. I mean, the United States would have just simply pulverized uh, the capital city. They would not have allowed any uh, foreign dignitaries to uh, visit a capital city. The Russians have been, you know, I mean, they, they made clear we are not engaged in a regime change operation. You know, we, you know we're happy uh, if a, a government in Kiev would sign an agreement with us, you know, government led by Zelensky, if need be. Um, so it kind of puts pay to the lie that somehow Russia is waging a war of annihilation or Russia is um, uh, attacking um, civilians or anything like that. I mean, the, she went there because she knows the Russians aren't going to do it. It's like, why did um, the United States um, invade Iraq while claiming that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction? Well, of course, it never believed Iraq had weapons of mass destruction because if, if it really believed Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, it wouldn't have done it. So if Nancy Pelosi really believed that a Russian missile was going to kill her and her uh, Democratic uh, colleagues, she wouldn't have gone. She knew that she would have a a nice time, a wonderful uh, public relations stunt. Um, But in terms of what she said, I I think it's quite astonishing. The whole idea that Ukraine is fighting on our behalf, you know, that, that somehow um, you know, Ukraine is is waging the war um, for uh, for us. You know, sort of. You know, Ukraine will, will fight Russia in order that the United States doesn't have to. It's a totally, absolutely irresponsible uh, attitude. But that has been the attitude of the Americans and the British, which is let's let's just keep uh, Ukrainians fighting. Doesn't matter how many Ukrainians are killed, how much of the country is destroyed, how much of the country is lost, but. They're waging a war on our behalf, and we don't have to do it. All we need to do is just keep supplying them with arms. You know, we make a lot of money. The arms industry makes a lot of money. Hey, no skin off our nose. Yeah, just cannon fodder in regards to human beings losing their lives in that war, in that conflict. Um, I want to talk about the Zostal steel plant, because um, this, this is a very weird story to me um, in the way that the West is reporting it. So basically, come to find out, there are, I guess, civilians that were there in that plant. They claim 100,000. A whole city. Yeah, it's very weird. And so my thing is, well, Russia allowed multiple opportunities for people to surrender. I think it was like three or four quarters that they basically opened over the course of several weeks. Come out. You can come out. You can come out. Up to that point, they were told, no. This may be very skeptical that there were civilians there because, after all— if they say we're giving you a quarter to leave and you say no and you have civilians in the building, then it becomes, well, why are you not allowing the civilians to basically leave the building? That seems to be the most natural thing in the world if indeed you're not holding those civilians as human hostages or human shields. What is your take on this? I mean, eventually they let people out. Apparently it's going to take a few days. The U.N. apparently got involved in this. And one of the other interesting things to me is why is Zelensky going to allow his military to get destroyed? 
in that steel plant as opposed to having those people basically surrender. They're completely surrounded. There is nothing that they gain from the standpoint of losing their lives in this particular way. And yet those troops are still there. What is your take on that? That's right. I think um, Zelensky is under orders um, from uh, the West, which is no surrender. You know, you have to keep uh, fighting. And uh, they've been saying this themselves. I mean, we had um, the head of um, the uh, national security in Ukraine uh, saying, I think, uh, today that, you know, our goal is complete victory over Russia. So Zelensky really, you know, he's not really the master of his domain. I mean, he's run by um, uh, the the Western powers, chiefly the United States, and uh, he's been told no surrender. Now, you know, obviously they're using uh, civilians as hostages. I doubt whether there's too many civilians, you know, down there. I think most of them, uh, the people who are in those uh, tunnels, are the fighters, you know, these uh, Azov battalion types. They obviously do not want to come out because they're not just going to be allowed to uh, go off wherever they want to. I mean, they will be arrested, um, interrogated, uh, possibly uh, put on trial uh, for war crimes. So they're going to they're going to stick it out. Um, and you know, they, that was it. Uh, but just in terms of civilians, I doubt really uh, by now that there'd be uh, too many civilians left down there. Now, George, the U.S or the West, I should say, stated objective, at least publicly, um, behind why they're supporting Ukraine is this whole guise of freedom and democracy and this moral righteousness. That's what they say. But in their actions, you know, when they, they say they want to protect lives, they're calling this a genocide and throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. But in their actions, their actions are proving that they don't want to save lives, that they don't want peace, that they don't want diplomacy by way of, at least here for my home country, for the United States, just approving another measly $33 billion to send, just exactly, it's pocket change to the the U.S. tax holder, tax uh, payer, Um, but they're sending 33 additional billion on top of the hundreds and hundreds of other millions of dollars that have already gone there in just a short span of two months. The actions by the U.S. would allude to something more nefarious, that they're not interested in in peace and democracy because they seem to be encouraging more violence instead of a diplomatic solution where the two sides should talk, which is what Vladimir Putin asked for within the first 12 hours of bombings when he, at the time, was having his the Russian military only bomb military sites, such as uh, airport runways and, and military uh, installations. Now, fast forward to two months. There are there's civilian infrastructure that has been damaged. A lot of lives have been lost, and, and war is messy. But the, the West keeps saying they want democracy, they want peace, but their actions are... Here's more weapons. Here's more bombs. Here's more howitzers. Let's, hey, let's close, uh, let's consider closing the airspace. Yeah, because that's going to be real, a, a real peaceful solution. And then we have Adam Kinzinger, the brilliant mind of the congressman here, recommending a, a new AUMF that says, in case Russia uses chemical or biological weapons, let's bind the United States to World War III. So, 
the actions of the politicians, at least from my home country, would allude to me that they are not interested in peace or diplomacy or finding a way out. What do you think? Oh, that's right. And of course, uh, at no point have they been uh, interested in finding any kind of a uh, diplomatic solution. I mean, if you could go back to, I think, January 2017, when the visit of um, uh, John McCain and Lindsey Graham, they went there to Ukraine and they, and they said, your fight is our fight. And that was they identified the United States uh, objectives with a war uh, that's, uh, that uh, Ukraine would be waging. Um, we know what, what really went on. We know that um, when um, Putin launched his special military operations, this was a preemptive attack, but clearly there was a, a, um, a military offensive in the works. This, they were planning uh, a Ukraine uh, offensive against uh, the Donbass. It, it was clear from about February the 16th on that there were more and more and more of these uh, violations of the ceasefire. Uh, this was recorded by the OSCE. This was obviously preliminary to an offensive. And what was the objective of, uh, of this offensive? Either the Ukrainians would win, the Donbass would be overrun, Russia would be humiliated, or alternatively, Russia would be drawn into a war that it wanted to avoid. It's been striving for eight years to avoid this war. So th this is what they got. They got Russia into this war. And now they want to make the intensify this war in order to affect regime change in, uh, in Russia. The more arms they uh, send to Ukraine, uh, uh, the more they figure that this will inflict pain on, uh, on Russia. It will kill Russians. Um, well, the more sanctions they impose, the more hardship that it will impose on Russia. And they figure that this will have the effect of um, turning the Russian people against uh, Putin, and then Putin will be overthrown. And then, you know, they obviously hope Russia will just disintegrate, you know, the, the way it was uh, threatening to disintegrate back in the 1990s. That's the objective. There's nothing here about Ukrainian democracy and freedom or whatever. They couldn't care less about Ukraine. They know that Ukraine is being destroyed. They, 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 they can see it. They know perfectly well Ukraine cannot possibly win this war. I mean, they look at the numbers. I mean, not, it just makes no sense. How can Ukraine win a war against a, a country, you know, four times its size in terms of population, you know, with, uh, with uh, sophisticated weaponry, nuclear weapons? There's no way Ukraine can win it. But they keep saying, well, our objective is victory, nothing short of victory. We, you know, no stalemate. So, so the, the objective is let's just keep this war going. However many people are killed because our objective is a regime change in Moscow. Yeah, it's extremely immoral when you think about it. I mean, can't win it, but let's just keep it going. Um, are, you, are you concerned about policy drift? I mean, there are a lot of parallels associated with this. McCurr has made this point with Vietnam versus now. I mean, you basically had a civil war. Now, we don't talk about it in the context of a civil war here. We act as if the Russians are just going after the Ukrainians, missing the point that for the last eight years, it was Ukrainians killing other Ukrainians. But whatever. You have a civil war. You have us getting involved in that civil war. On top of that, you have us passing a Lend-Lease bill, which is astonishing that they're willing to do something like that. Again, this was a prelude to the Second World War, in this case of the United States getting involved in that war. And you have a U.S. president that has basically failed at every other thing on a domestic front and even an international front that has basically bound himself to the events that are taking place in Ukraine. And so my question is, will the U.S. president, or for that matter, NATO 
brain-dead leaders that are basically following this guy, will they be able to back away from the brink if it becomes clear that their objectives are not going to succeed? Meaning that Russia wins and gets the exact, exact um, objectives and accomplishes those objectives that they want to accomplish. Will those NATO nations and will the U.S. be able to accept that considering the level and the amount of political capital that they invested into this conflict? What are your thoughts? I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I would have uh, thought that there's a real danger that uh, the United States will get itself involved militarily. I mean, it's, it's, it's very hard to step back from the brink. I mean, when you keep uh, whipping up this fervor, you keep demonizing uh, Russia and you keep identifying uh, America completely with the Ukrainian side, then eventually, when Russia achieves its military objective, they say, well, that means the Americans have lost. Uh, that's, that's kind of you know, very humiliating. Um, and given the, uh, what Adam Kinzinger is saying and what others have said, which is, well, there's a, uh, a red line. If you know, Russia uses some you know, you know, chemical or biological weapons or whatever, uh, you know, then you know, somehow you know, America gets involved. That's, a, that's, I think, a very dangerous uh, scenario. And I mean, I do think that that's a real possibility of a false flag operation. I mean, we, we saw that in Syria. I think there's a real danger of something like that. We know that there are biological weapons in Ukraine. Um, we know America has biological weapons. We know America has chemical weapons. Wouldn't be that difficult to uh, stage a false flag uh, incident. So I think that there really is a, a great danger. I mean. You know, if I say, you know, is there, is there a likelihood of a war between uh, Russia and NATO? I think that it, it's better than 50-50 that it's, it's going to come to that. Um, because at no point is anyone in NATO coming forward and saying, this is our plan to bring this to an end. I mean, where's the Macron peace plan? Where's the Schultz peace plan? Uh, you know, they're all just simply talking about, well, um, how, how can we put even more sanctions on Russia? Uh, how can we send even more and heavier weapons into Ukraine? I mean, no one is thinking in terms of how can we just bring this to an end? Well, when, when you go down this path, it's going to be very hard to just step off. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, um, I, I, I mean, I do think that at some point Russia will say, that's it. You know, we've achieved what we've achieved. You know, the rest of Ukraine, you can have it. I mean, you know, whatever that rump Ukraine will exist, you know, once they've lost the Azov and the Black Sea coast, um, if, if they do indeed take the Black Sea coast. Um, and they say, OK, this is yours, you know, rump, rump Ukraine. What are they, what is, the, what is NATO? What are the Western powers going to do with this rump Ukraine? Are they going to try to mobilize it, you know, to keep, to keep a war going? You know, I, I don't know, but. It's a, I mean, the, the way the West is playing this is a very dangerous game. George, let's look forward in the, in the last few minutes that we have with you. Um, l- let's look ahead to how Russia uh, moves forward after eventually when wars all come to an end, even, even if they're 20-year wars like in Afghanistan. But at some point, they all come to an end. And we're, we've already seen the, the Russo-Sino relationship uh, evolve over the last two years, I would say. Uh, right now, the Russians and the Chinese are working at um, doing banking and making big deals together. And of course, there's the Belt and Road Initiative that's going on. There are going to be some 
diplomatic hurdles to overcome because the West is going to continue to, you know, lob cannons over on the other side and, and try to prevent that from happening. Uh, but there are financial deals being brokered. There are oil deals being brokered. Can the West stop a Russo-Sino relationship? No, no, they, they can't. I mean, I think that the um, the Chinese um, are clearly identified. You know, they may not care that much about uh, Ukraine. They do care very much about uh, U.S. instigated wars, and uh, and they they think that uh, essentially that war that the United States instigated in Ukraine um, is the scenario that the U.S. has in mind in Taiwan. They're going to keep, you know, stirring a pot in uh, in Taiwan and maybe trying to entice China into uh, also taking military action. And then China will be stuck in, in the same uh, mold as uh, Russia is currently. So they know that this scenario, the Ukraine scenario that the U.S. worked out is the scenario that they're going to be facing in Taiwan. So um, China is very much, um, uh, you know, on the side of Russia and wants Russia uh, to prevail. So the, the the United States, which was anxious about the kind of Russo-German uh, alliance, you know, German industrial know-how combined with Russian natural resources, this was the U.S. nightmare since 1991 and the end of the Cold War. That isn't going to happen. Clearly, you know, Russian-German relations are now, you know, destroyed for a generation, maybe two generations. Um, but they've got an, the alternative uh, uh, nightmare, which is the uh, Russo-Chinese uh, uh, alliance. Um, they tried to break it up. They, they, they thought that, okay, if we could take Russia out first, we destroy Russia, China would be very easy to handle. You know, China doesn't have... George, we're going to have to close it. But thank you, George Samueli, Senior Research Fellow at Global Policy Institute. You guys are listening to Fotlines, Thomas, Chan. Back in a moment. Fault lines. Fault lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. That means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. All righty. Good conversation with George, which is that the chat loves George. Mm -hmm. We love George here also. Easy to talk to. Great to talk to. Um, but let's do this. Let's get to the headlines. We're going to bring on Ted Rawl. That should be a great conversation. Talking about the Met Gala um, in some respects. Yes. Talking about Roe v. Wade, of course. I, I failed on my job. I have to admit. You had one job, man. One I, job. I was supposed to watch the red carpet. The red Carpet. That, yes. Really? That's my assignment? Take it for the team. I'm like, yes. <laughs> they're like, take it for the team, Manila. <laughs> Watch the red carpet. And I was like, are you serious right now? Watching celebrities that I would not recognize yeah. if you gave me a Rolodex of names? Like, I'd be like, I, who, I didn't recognize many, most of these people. Like 90% yes. of them, I'm like, I have no idea who these people are. Yes. Eric Adams? Recognize him. Right. Recognize him. He should I be doing his job. Erica Badu that they dug out of the, yeah. I don't know where. Lenny Kravitz. Oh, was Lenny there? Lenny Kravitz was there. Yeah, I mean, it's. I love Lenny. See, yes. Any, anything 
prior, like maybe growing up in the 90s, I, I would get. Yeah. Like D. Wade and Gabby Union were there. Great. But like all these other obscure, you know, random social, people. Yeah. hoity-toity, high-life people. I have no idea. Hillary Clinton was there. Your next That's, president of the United States. Oh, my God. <laughs> Your next president. Yeah, yeah Hillary will, Clinton was there. We have to say, I, I did read that review on, on her dress because I was like, Usually the Met Gala is something where people make statement, you yeah. know, whatever statement pieces Tax they're wearing. the rich. Right. Like the back uh, of the dress like AOC. Right. AOC's dress, which, you know, last year was, like, come, come on. Well, and the person who, I mean, Shane figured this out, but basically the person who made that dress owed taxes themselves. Yes, apparently. the designer was apparently running a, a sweatshop, abusing their workers, not paying them, not give like... It's like working for Amazon. They couldn't even go to the potty. Yeah. So tax the rich though. But right. And then and then she's over there looking all glamorous, you know, maskless, and this is, you know, the height of the pandemic. And she's over there on the red carpet while her her crew were all like quadruple masked with like, <laughs> you know, like just wearing full on like Tron <laughs> face mask coverings, like just breathing in a bubble. And she's there, you know, tax the rich. But you know, this year, not as wacky as last year. Yeah. I think COVID, people, I think last year, people were, were just like, oh my God, we're outside. So they wore the craziest they went things. went to the hilt. Oh yeah. yeah, crazy. So this year was more of like, y- you look like your dress was actually a dress and not some weird costume. Most people, yeah. Most There were a people. few that were kind of Yeah, but if we're going to say Lenny Kravitz, he always looks interesting. Yes. That's his thing. That's his thing. So, and that's fine. Erica Badu, that's her thing. It's funny, the Hunger Games like, version of Lenny Kravitz is actually scaled down compared to the whole right, regular less Lenny than Kravitz. Him, real yeah, life. that's less than him in real life. Everybody else has something stoned up for Kravitz, has something stoned down. Yes, we're, we're calling it the Hunger Games theme because they, I forget the actual title of the name of yeah. the, this theme of the Met Gala this year, but it's something about the Gilded Age where it's like, can you be more tone deaf? Yeah, that's radically tone deaf. We are skyrocketing to almost 8% inflation, records not seen since the 1970s. And here are the country's elite parting it up in New York City Yep. in some Gilded Age theme that's... Over the homeless person. Stepping over the homeless person totally to get into the it. building. Just yeah. like, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, God, he's going to breathe on my dress. Yeah, all right. Just, yeah, all right. This is, this is where we're at. It's like, man, I mean, they have all of these homeless people I here. They go to the gala. I mean, they couldn't all at least these move people, these people. Yeah, what is Eric these... Adams doing? He should just at least move them out of the way so we don't see them as we get to the gala. This tent city, just yeah. like Mayor Garcetti did before the Super Bowl. He cleared out all the tent cities. Oh, you didn't hear wow. about that? I know. I thought, I know, if I'm not mistaken, Adams did that also. If he, that. Really? He just got there and he cleared out tent If I cities? am not mistaken, I could be wrong, but he definitely went after, we could talk to Ted about it, but if I am not mistaken, he also cleared out this kind of tent city stuff. I mean... Yeah, Gavin Newsom yeah. And, and Mayor Eric Garcetti of Los Angeles, before SoFi Stadium was open to the public for the Super Bowl this year, yeah. it was tent city all around. And they literally cleared that all out because God forbid all the celebrities... And the governor show up, city really and you like. have to look at these yeah. poor, dirty people. Yeah, hungry people. That your city allows. Get out of here. That your, that your city basically allows. Right. And but look, on the positive side, Eric Adams was there, so they can complain to him about all of the homeless people being in their way that they had to see as they drove there. Yeah, like, in, in his bedazzled 
suit jacket or blazer. Yeah, talk about stop the violence. That's your job. That's your job, by the way, Eric Adams. You're put in that position to, quote unquote, stop the violence. (laughs) Talking about putting it on the back of your shirt. You should be doing your job as opposed to out there virtue signaling to the various members of the public and to the celebrities. I mean, this was the same guy that was on a Tuesday night out there dancing a jig. You're so mad about him I am so aggravated about that. He's like on stage dancing and and it's like he has his bottle and it's like, it's Tuesday. What are you doing? No, no, no. Tomorrow, the biggest violation was that his blazer was hideous. And that. That is a fashion violation (laughs) in the (laughs) utmost umpteenth level. Hideous. Hideous. All I gotta say, I'm like Joan Rivers now. Yeah, hideous. You should know better. <laughs> you should know better as mayor. But look, let's go to the headlines in the news. Yeah, this is Muslims Eid Mubarak Day, and so we talked about that earlier. Enjoy. In national news, the majority of justices on the Supreme Court have indicated that they are prepared to overturn the right to abortion, a constitutional protection granted under the landmark Roe v. Wade decision in January 1973. This is a leaked draft opinion revealed late Monday, obtained by Politico. Obtained by Politico, the 67-page draft, which was authored and circulated by Justice Samuel Alito, is described as an initial draft majority opinion and would effectively revoke federal abortion protections and grant authority back to the state level. This is a big, big deal. And this is have earth-shattering consequences, at least in my assessment. But again, we don't know as a flat fact that this is going to go through. This is a preliminary opinion. And also, again, I point out that Obamacare for a while supposedly had been killed in one of these kind of preliminary opinions, but Judge Roberts didn't necessarily want to go with the idea that he killed the first black president's main legislative achievement. He backed away and instead of getting rid of it, called it a tax. It's a tax. A tax is allowed. The government can allow tax. Um, Scalia hated this and was going after him for a period of time on this, but I guess I'm making a point that yes, this is a draft opinion. This is not the final opinion. However, clearly shockwaves. Beginning Monday, the Navy started to move approximately 260 sailors living aboard the USS George Washington, quote, to an off-site barracks type living arrangement in Norfolk Navy shipyard in Portsmouth, unquote, according to an announcement reviewed by military.com. Leadership with the nuclear power aircraft carrier, which since 2017 has remained dry docked in Virginia for maintenance and modernization, would now begin offering temporary off-ship housing for sailors following a series of sailor deaths and accompanying complaints about working and living conditions aboard the vessel. That doesn't quite make it clear enough. You had large number of sailors, military personnel, dead, dying, committing suicide in some cases. And this had been going on for a very long period of time. Apparently, the living conditions were such that they were monstrous to live on that boat, and it didn't necessarily seem the leadership cared all that much about the conditions that those soldiers were living under. So yeah, now they're doing something about it, now that all of these people have basically died. It's greatly unfortunate. Israel summoned Russian ambassador to Israel, Antoly Viktorov, on Monday over Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov's comments about the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and Adolf Hitler. Foreign Minister Yair Lapid called the comments, quote, unforgivable and outrageous and a ter- terrible historic mistake, unquote, adding that, quote, the Jews did not murder themselves in the Holocaust, unquote. Lapid went on to suggest that, quote, the basis level of racism against Jews is to blame the Jews themselves for anti-Semitism, unquote, unquote. Taiwanese authorities are searching for a stopgap alternative to U.S. source M109 
A6 self-propel howitzers amid delays with the latter's delivery, the Allen Ministry of Defense told or announced on Monday. Quote, in response to media reports on the case of the M109A6 self-prepared guns arms sale, the Ministry of National Defense said to today that the howitzer, let's just call them the howitzer arms, purchased by Taiwan was crowded out in the production line. The U.S. side informs us that the system will not be delivered to the Republic of China until 2026 at the earliest, unquote, the ministry said in a statement published on its website. In tech news, the EU Commission issued a statement of objections to Apple on Monday over the U.S. tech giant's supposedly abusive practices in the field of mobile wallets technology. The company has been using its, quote, dominant position, unquote, in the market to bar third-party services from accessing software and hardware on its devices facilitating contactless payments, the document states. And you can hear me say, well, of course they're going to do that. They got the position. Of course they're going to use the position to influence or, for that matter, enhance their capability of making profit while undermining other people's capability of making profit. It's a competitive exercise. Capitalism, right? In Earth and Science News, the number of children affected by an undocumented acute hepatitis of unknown origin continues to rise around the world, having now made its way to Denmark. The State Serum Institute, or the SSI, reported a total of six cases with sufferers ranging between 2 and 14 years of age. Although viruses may be the cause, experts say the evidence still does not add up, as the disease doesn't follow the patterns of most common forms of hepatitis, ranging from A to E. In business news, the U.S. Federal Reserve is expected to make its biggest interest rate increase of the century when its May meeting adjourns on Wednesday as it takes a firmer hand against the depreciating value of the U.S. dollar. The Board of Governors is expected to rate its benchmark short-term interest rate, also called the Fed Funds Rate, by a half percentage point when its rate-setting meeting ends on Wednesday, the Associated Press is reporting. If so, it will be the largest single increase since 2000 when the Fed struggled to rein in the bursting dot-com speculatory bubble. This day in history, in 1913, the first Indian full-length feature film is premiered. In 1958, Truman Capote's book Breakfast at Tiffany's Breakfast at Tiffany, Tiffany's is published. In 1978, the Digital Equipment Cooperation or Corporation sends the world's first spam email. Great. That's exactly what we needed. The first spam email. In 1979, Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, is elected British Prime Minister. And in 1999, a tornado produces the highest wind speeds ever recorded. Those are your headlines. You guys are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chance. Yeah, there are a few interesting um, headlines in this one. The hepatitis one is grim, to put it mildly. The Taiwanese, right here, Taiwanese authorities are searching for a stopgap alternative to U.S. source self-propelled howitzers amid delays to the latter's delivery, the island's Ministry of Defense announced on Monday. What's interesting about this story is that there were reports that the United States was speaking with the UK about Taiwan. And it's like, you guys are involved in a conflict that you provoked in Ukraine, and now you are also simultaneously looking at what is taking place in Taiwan? Are you insane? It's almost as if they look at what is taking place as some level of a success. And I think it boils down to ideological blindness. You know, with Samueli making the point of saying these guys have wrapped themselves into this kind of this political um, cloak of we and Ukraine are united in some particular political way where our political fortunes are tied to theirs. And as I've said on numerous occasions, you guys have seen me belligerent, very angry about this and very, let's say, what's the word I'm looking for? 
um, apoplectic about it or ap- not apoplectic. Yes, apoplectic, but also, I don't want to say hysterical, but definitely pointing out like this is a big deal. This is a proxy war. And this proxy war, the president is identifying himself. He's putting in advisors. They're putting in weapons. The damn pass and Lindley spill. Joe Biden has failed on everything else. And the only thing he's basically talking about at this point is Ukraine. The NATO leaders have basically jumped in and lumped themselves in with Joe Biden on this particular plan. And I think it's a fair question to say, if it becomes abundantly clear that they have lost in all of their objectives and they've dumped all of these tens of billions of dollars and it basically came for naught, what is he going to do? Does the president take the loss, another one, and go home? Or does he push the line that much more? I don't have an answer to that question, and that is utterly and entirely terrifying because I don't think they even know themselves at this point. Um, let's do this. Let's take a break. Let's go for Ted. You guys are listening to Fault Lines, Thomas, Chan, back in a moment with the one and only Ted Raw. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined by my co-host, Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys find yourself in the D.C. area, you can always catch us on radio at 105.5 FM and 1390 AM. We're also kicking around to Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like and share that audio or video. Of course, smash that rumble button because we are indeed on rumble. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202 521 We'll take calls right after that, right yeah. after Ted. Yeah, right after Ted, 845. So definitely, if you want to make that call, stay around. But look, let's do this. We have been talking this morning completely um, 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 for a huge amount of verbosity around this notion of the leaked document about the Supreme Court. And I'll just read it. A leaked draft option indicating the Supreme Court has voted to overturn Roe v. Wade, the landmark decision that guaranteed abortion access, sent immediate shockwaves throughout the United States as many Americans brace for a future without reproductive rights that have been established for nearly half of a century. The draft opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito, Jr., was obtained by Politico Monday night in a highly unusual leak from the nation's highest court, elevating to the forefront of a health issue or healthcare issue that has long divided the country. The decision is not expected to be finalized for another month or more and could change its final form. But whether that changes or not, this draft document, of course, is being looked at as, oh my God, they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade and all of the political consequences that are going to come as a result of that. To have a conversation about this and other issues, we're joined with the one and only Ted Rawl. He's an American columnist, syndicated editorial cartoonist, and author. And Ted always said it doesn't do you justice because you are a historical marvel in regards to the stuff that you know from a historical context, and for that matter, even a foreign policy with your travels around the world. Welcome to the show, my man. How are you doing this morning? Thanks, Jamal. Uh, like uh, everyone else, I'm reacting to the news. Uh, it's uh, fascinating. It is fascinating. What is your take on this? My take is that there are going to be political consequences, that Democrats had no chance, and that Democrats are reading the news this morning, and they are like, yes, yes, there's a God. We have a chance, finally, to hold the House or the Senate, meaning I could not figure out anything else that would have galvanized the public from their standpoint over something. In this case, this is considered existential for many Democrats, especially liberals that 
um, that strongly believe in this and think this should be sacrosanct, it feels to be that this is at the very least going to create some momentum for those people to basically come out, even if they think Democrats failed across the board, even if they're demoralized for everything else. This issue, if they consider it existential, even some Republicans may come out in defense of it. What are your thoughts? Or is, do you think my thoughts are overblown on this in regards to the level of hysteria that is going to create within the context of liberal life and society? Not overblown at all. I think that's exactly going to be the reaction. Uh, I'm sure that's what's happening on the morning talkies, on, tel- on cable TV, even as we're talking here now. Um, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, I was just looking up yesterday, Vegas odds makers um, for, um, the, for the midterms. Uh, 76, the uh, Vegas odds makers placed at that point, replacing the uh, odds of the Republicans taking the House at 90 percent and the Senate at 76 percent. I completely, yeah, I can believe it. I agree with them. I agree. And so that's a, you know, I mean, it it is. uh, So I think here's the thing. Everyone's going to think this changes everything. It's certainly going to create a lot of dialogue. It's going to create a lot of debate. But I think at the end of the day, those odds aren't going to change that much by the time we get back to, that we get down to November. Look, this is bad news for Republicans, for sure. It provides Democrats with an amazing talking point. Um, Republicans know that they're weak on this issue. They know most Americans are pro-choice to some extent, at you know more like around 55, 60% uh, favor abortion in some some form, um, you know, everybody's got uh, a, a wife, a girlfriend, a sister, a mother. I mean, you, you know, even you know, if you're a guy, you know, you know, and you like women. So there is, there's going to be, uh, you know, this is going, this is going to be bad for Republicans. I really wonder about the the timing of these conservative Supreme Court justices. Don't they know there's an election coming, or maybe they just thought. The midterms are, are a better time to do it than before the presidential, um, but or maybe they just couldn't hold it because this was the case they wanted to do it. But I don't think in the end it's going to change anything uh, when it comes to the elections, because when Democrats you know, calm down and start to think about it, there have been chances over the last 40 or 50 years for Democrats to do what countries, you know, really uh, pro-choice countries like Ireland have done, which is pass a federal law uh, legalizing abortion uh, across the land. I mean, Congress could have done that. The United States is the only country that hinges, that hangs abortion rights on a flimsy, uh, constitutionally uh, atrocious legal decision. Uh, and so you, know, you have this, um, this Congress had like a 60 vote uh, you know, Obama had a, for about, I think it was about six months, had a 60 vote supermajority. Uh, he could have jammed abortion rights through. It would have passed. He would have signed it. We wouldn't be having this discussion now. And there have been other moments when certainly the Democrats could have done exactly what the Republicans did with the Affordable Care Act, voting repeatedly, even if they thought it was going to go down to a veto uh, or, you know, effectively a senatorial uh, not getting to a, you know to cloture uh, under Senate rules, not getting to 60 votes, but showing that they were on the record as being in favor of abortion rights. Democrats never did anything about abortion except use it to to fundraise, and and I think that's going to come out. Yeah, see, Ted, I I would venture to say that not only do I agree that the red wave was coming in November, but that this might actually further galvanize the right 
because they were already excited about the red wave. And now they're going to take this as as a win. And they're going to say that this is going to give the momentum they need to go into 2022 and then further 2024. So I think this, you know, could could be a red tsunami that'll <laughs> that'll come in 2024, right? Especially if I don't we're not odds makers like the folks in <laughs> Vegas, but Jamarl is saying Hillary Clinton 2024 <laughs> versus Donald Trump. So obviously major talking points to be had here. But Ted, I'm curious to know your thoughts on the talking points of Republicans now, you know, especially the 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 anti-COVID measure Republicans who will say, hey, the people on the left, you guys are all so pro-choice, pro-choice, but how come when it came to COVID, it wasn't my body, my choice? What about that kind of talking point? I don't think that, I mean, I agree with the rest, but I don't think that talking point's going to go very, it's not, let me put it this way, it won't cross party lines, right? Because my body, my choice when it comes to masking and vaccine mandates <laughs> is different because it seemed at the time, well, I mean, you know, uh, nearly a million Americans have died of COVID. Right. COVID spreads. <laughs> Abortion's not spreading. Right. Abortion only affects you and the unborn child, right? That's it. So there's, whereas, you know, your choice to vaccinate or not affects the entire community. So I think that's different. And I also think now people aren't even thinking about COVID. I think it's in psychologically, it's in people's rearview mirrors now. They're not masking anymore in many states. Um, it's, it's just sort of a non-issue. American elections are always about what comes next. And I think looking at what comes next, uh, the, you know, the Democratic, the blue states are going to have legal abortion. The, uh, the southern states won't. And uh, basically rich people will have what they want. It'll be a class divide. And they're not going to care about the poor, uh, even poor working women who want to get abortions in Alabama. They're not going to care about them next year any more than they care about them now. Yeah, I think you have a good point with that. And look, we're going to see. I mean, I think the odds makers were right. I would be curious to see whether the odds change, like in the way that they are measuring odds on that one. Yeah. Well, one little point I'd like to make, though, with with the argument there, Ted, is that I, this is obviously the conversation is revolving around Roe v. Wade right now. But but the vaccine mandate, we got to remember it was sold to us as you're going to protect your community. And that's something that you touched on. That simply proved out to not be true. The The real fact of the matter is the vaccine will protect you personally. You, you will not die. You people with the vaccine can, yes, start people off that with way. the vax, people, no, it started out as the vaccine is like the panacea answer. Right. But what it proved out to be is the vaccine might help you, the individual, not protect you from catching it or or transmitting it. True. The vaccine that is true. Kamala, Kamala, I no, know, I'm but saying, that's, my, that's my whole point, is that the vaccine wasn't the panacea. Yeah, so, I agree with that part. It wasn't the panacea. So that's, that's where the talking point is going to be, is that, you can't say that the vaccine was the the alpha and the omega of yes, COVID because right. it, it proved not to be. And that's where the talking point is going to end. It's going to say, oh, well, that's not true. So they're going to say the same thing um, with abortion rights as well. You, you are pro-choice for bodies. Right. Then why aren't you pro-choice for bodies with the vaccine? That is the talking point. Okay. Like it should be a choice. Like why mandate it? Why mandate the vaccine? Because you have a situation where you're basically working with people. Those people may have medical issues. Like, for example, this office. We but have it, several again, people that were yeah, here yeah, but, that had certain medical issues. Again, and when the vaccine first came out, when the vaccine out. was preventing 
other stuff. But you had mutations. And you had the Delta, you had, I forget the other one, and all of those things were basically breaking through Omicron. the mutation. Yeah, Omicron. I mean, even if you go and look at the hospitalization stuff, meaning your ability to protect yourself from having to go to the hospital, all of those people that were basically jamming into those hospitals were preventing other people from surgeries, cancer treatments, and everything else. Not to mention they were going through hospitalization supplies because they didn't want to get vaccinated. I mean, I get the argument, but there is a radical difference between a person who gets pregnant as a kid that is specific and individual to them where somebody else is making a choice about whether they should hold that kid for 18 years afterwards, not to mention pay for it and everything else versus well, somebody well, getting I, a vaccine. I, I would say some of the, the argument will still be it's personal choice and you shouldn't. Your, what happens to you, there's only so much I'm willing to, to do to my own body to protect everybody else. So I think that's going to be the, the main concern, especially for people that are straddling, straddling the lines somewhere in the center, somewhere maybe slightly right of center, some, someone like me that would go, mm, well, I'm not into abortion personally. Yeah. But it would definitely I, see it that way. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your body. And I'll take care of my own health. Thank you, government. Like, that's stay not your out place. Of it. Yeah. Stay out of my body. What do you think about it, Ted? Is there a, you know, stay out of my uterus, stay out of my bloodstream yeah. <laughs> vaccine? Do you think that would fly at all? And do you think that's going to be an argument that some of these people make when they're kind of shout? Because look, this is going to be a fight, right? Like the Roe v. Wade thing is definitely going to be a fight. That's going to be a fault line that takes us over in this election. And I would go so far as to say it may be the main fight in this election. I mean, or do you think that's overblown? I mean, do you think by the time we get to the election, and this is assuming they even overturn it because we don't even know as a flat fact they're going to overturn it. It's very, they could literally have all sorts of conversations and everything else and decide to do something different with it. But do you think this will be the main fight that takes place in regards to choosing how the Senate and the House eventually looks at the end of it? Uh, I think this is the, uh, this will be, unless, you know, something blows up somewhere else, this will be the issue of this election is all we're going to hear about for the next six months. Um, and I don't think anyone, you know, we can draw, people can, you know, Americans don't have the bandwidth to talk about, like, even recent history about, like, vaccine mandates. they be like, why are you bringing up vaccine mandates? It's like, that's whatever. That's so 2021. Uh, they're going to say, they're just gonna, it's just going to come down to abortion rights. Um, and it's going to be fascinating to see uh, whether... People, women and their allies can uh, motivate and mobilize in a, in a uh, sustained uh, protest movement, you know, sort of like Black Lives Matter with a sustained protest movement. Uh, that's probably the only sustained protest movement this country has seen with the sort of bare exception of the anti-globalization protests uh, since the 1960s. So, so uh, you know, this country, that's what I'm kind of looking for. Like, will that happen Will that scare Republicans, uh, particularly uh, moderate Republicans in uh, border states? That's, that's kind of the crux of the issue. I still don't think, however, this will change enough results to keep the House or the Senate in Democratic hands. But, you know, it's a long time between now and November. Anything could happen. Get into the headspace for me of the person who leaked this. That's the other interesting thing. I, I think it's a, it's a young clerk, Ted. What do you think? It's a young female clerk. And Ooh, why female? Why, why go there? <laughs> he was sexist. Oh, Ted. Uh-oh. Because who's more pissed, right? It's someone who's really, really angry about this. Yeah, I could be a dude. But, <laughs> it, but I think it's, you know, I, I would say that's most likely it. 
Um, yeah, it's a young clerk. Um, but you never know. Sometimes these leaks come from very surprising uh, sources, as we, as w- like we, like in Watergate. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Like maybe this is like, right? Because usually, whoever is clerking for that particular justice, they're they are a fan of and want to be in the school of that clerk. Very so good point. it's highly unlikely, in in my opinion, that that one of these kids who is a it's like I want to work for Sol- Alito, Alito yeah. fan would turn on him. Interesting point. One thing, one thing that I noticed, very interesting. If you look at the um, at the document as it was released um, in Scribdy, I guess it was. Uh, it's at a slight angle, which means it was xeroxed, old school, or that it was uh, reproduced on like someone snapped photos of the printed version. It wasn't downloaded, so it wasn't hacked. <clears throat> it was not hacked. It was someone who had access to an actual paper version that stayed at the Supreme Court. So it has to be an insider, uh, and it has to be someone who knew that, who was worried about being uh, intercepted in, uh, in, in the court building. Oh, that's uber interesting. Wow, we have a deep throat in the Supreme Court. Think about that. And look, like you said, I think that's going to have political consequences. We're going to see what those consequences are. Let's jump to the Met Gala. Let's switch gears. Let's switch gears. Let's have some fun. So Hillary Clinton, um, Manila was like, Hillary Clinton looks great. No, whoa, hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on, hold your horses here. I'm not a Hillary Clinton fangirl by any stretch, but I will say this. For Hillary Clinton— I was going to agree with you. I saw her picture. I was like, you know what? Right, that's as good as she's ever going to get yes. at, at this stage in life, at, you know, how much she's been through, yes. the trauma in her personal life, in her career. And as compared to how she looked on the campaign trail before, this is as good as Hillary's going to get. This is Clinton. So, yes, like, good on Hillary in that sense. You know, like, good for you, lady. <laughs> You're looking good in that, you know, that maroon dress. That she had, I guess, some, you know, these are all fancy, very fancy gowns. And the Met Gala is the place to be at if you are the who's who of the elite and, you know, the social kingmakers. They were all there. Hillary Clinton wore some fancy gown with the names of all the the women that inspired her in her life. So including her mother's name that was stitched on somewhere, I think, on the train of her dress. And, And the theme, the theme, Ted... We're calling Hunger Games, but <laughs> it's something to do with, like, the Gilded Age. Were there any trans women on that dress? I, I don't know. I didn't read all the names. It was just—it was, like, 60-some-odd names, so it's like, wow, that's a lot of—all right, like, not very discriminating on the names. I'm just throwing all the women up yeah. there. Um, but the Gilded Age, Gilded Era— how tone deaf was that, Ted? I mean, given that we are at almost 8% inflation, the highest we've seen since the late 70s, gas prices are through the roof. We are overtly at a pro- in a proxy war in Eastern Europe. Uh, we're trying to gin up another war in Asia. And here we are, the, the elites of both Washington and New York and Hollywood hanging out at the Met Gala with you know, stepping over the homeless people. It's always the Gilded Age for those people, isn't it? Um, you know, no matter what, I always, 
I'm always struck by looking at photos of, say, occupied Paris during World War II and, you know, fancy cafes and restaurants were full to bursting with people who somehow weren't rich, starving, or being sent off to a death camp. Um, you know, 1930s, same thing, New York City, you know, people were at the Copacabana and partying, you know, while other people were in bread lines selling apples for a, a nickel. So it's uh, it's always going to be like that. Yeah, it's tone deaf. Um, I agree, by the way. I just want to say, as someone who has frequently uh, made fun of Hillary Clinton's sort of Dr. Evil wardrobe. Right. <laughs> I have um, I have to say this was a really nice looking dress. Um, the color does remind me a little bit of The Handmaid's Tale. Um, but otherwise, uh, you know, I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but it's be- it was beautiful. Uh, she's usually one of the worst dressed people yes. in politics. And, and by the way, you are allowed to say that. It's not sexist because we make fun of the way male politicians oh yeah of trump's long like tacky red ties we make fun of their of male politicians hair uh you know ted cruz's werewolf look <laughs> we, we, we do that so uh you know that's equal opportunity when you run for political office uh, you know it's a free fire zone um not to mention we're giving her credit here yeah like this like so this is this not is, like across the board like oh this is what wow. it's like hey she actually looks great. Right. I I was surprised. Like yeah. I was like, wow, oh, she actually looks nice for her. Not to mention I'm about to put a knife in Eric Adams. I mean, talk about male fashion. I I Faux pas. Faux pas. Faux pas, Mayor Adams. I How dare you? This How is why I need you? the Greta Thunberg. <laughs> How dare, dare you? you? Because he stepped on the red carpet and all I heard was Greta Thunberg. How dare you? <laughs> he should not be there. I look, I don't even live in New York. And I cover the stories that take place in New York, talking to you, talking to other people. I have a very poor impression of what it's like to live in New York right now. And so the notion that the mayor who was hired as a top cop to do the very specific job of cleaning up the city and everything else is out there partying on like a Tuesday night, doing the jig, dancing with like a liquor bottle or something. I'm like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Why aren't you doing your job? And then to have this tacky, tacky suit that looks utterly and entirely ridiculous, that the woman who's with him is utterly embarrassed to even be standing there. Just have that suit with on the back like, what is it, go after gun crime or something like that? Basically telling other people to do his own job. And gun violence. Yeah, and gun violence. It was bedazzled, I think. And bedazzled. And bedazzled. What is your thought of your mayor? Eric Adams, hanging out with the hoity-toity group, stepping over the homeless <laughs> in order to get there, um, that he basically has a responsibility to deal with. What is your take, Ted? I, I think this is another case where, you know, Melania Trump could have repurposed her I don't care jacket and, uh, you know, lent that to, to Mayor Adams. You know, a dude was shot at 12.15 in the afternoon, just at, literally in broad daylight, Next to the 24th police precinct two days ago, um, he was whacked. The guy pulled up next to him. He was visiting from Virginia. Someone shot him through the face right in front of his, his, his companion. Uh, he hasn't been caught. That happened two blocks from my apartment. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not happy about this kind of thing. And, you know, by the way, just parenthetically, one thing New Yorkers know that, like, maybe others might not is the Met is an incredibly poorly run institution. They, they literally almost went bankrupt a couple of years ago due to the fact that they spend money like water. Um, they don't know what they're doing. And so you have this incredibly 
you know, this institution with an incredible world-class endowment and, uh, and, and fundraising apparatus, and they, they're overspending on everything. So, you know, they're, they're, they're always at the, at the verge of going under. One word, Ted. Embezzlement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's very disturbing really. Um, so, and this mayor, I think he has lost the city. Um, I, I think he just got hired. <laughs> he just got the job. He just started like last week. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, he's like, you know, every morning if I were Joe Biden, I'd wake up and say, well, at least I'm not Eric Adams. Wow. Oh, wow. 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 It's that bad. Like that's his reputation in New York. It's that bad. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, a lot of people are sort of like, I think there's buyer's remorse. Um, a lot of people would go back. There were a lot of really good candidates, good progressive um, candidates in that in that primary. Man, um, they should scrap that stupid ranked choice uh, primary. I know progressives love it. I, I think um, all my progressive friends were wrong about that, and I could explain why. Explain why. Because to me, ranked choice, I would argue, is necessary on some level. I mean, because if you think about it, do you it's really, almost like a, a test out there, like testing ground. Yeah, or it puts you in the mind of like the French election, almost, mm-hmm. where you have, okay, who's the person that you really, really want? And so the person may say Jill Stein, but in the normal circumstances, in a political context, you don't get that option of, okay, who do I really want? It's who do I need to vote for in order to accomplish the political objectives in the moment, who has the best chance of winning? And you have this esoteric other that basically excludes candidates, let's say like a Jill Stein or somebody else that a lot of people may actually vote for. If they didn't necessarily feel they'd be penalized in that choice because they didn't necessarily believe other people would do it. So Jill Stein gets 2 percent as opposed to, let's say, 15 percent if that was indeed allowed as a first choice. Now, they can always say, OK, I'll take Joe Biden as my second choice. That's not what I want, but I would prefer that. Meaning it gives you this option of not necessarily having this kind of moral hazard associated with the vote tally. But tell me if I'm wrong on that. What 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 is wrong with it from your standpoint um, when you think about it? said is true. And that theory works well. I, I think, you know, the probably the er example that we think of when we think about ranked choice voting is something like the 2020 Democratic primaries. Uh, voters pretty much knew who all the candidates were and what they stood for. That's not true in, say, a, a Democratic uh, primary in a New York City mayoral election. They don't. They might just they might only know one or two candidates. And the rest is just sort of this morass because the media only reports on those who are polling first and second. And then that's they don't the other people can't get their message out. So it's kind of like an award ceremony. Like, you know, what the Pulitzers might have like 80 entries for my category, cartooning. But it doesn't really work unless all the judges look at all the entries, right? And and that's the thing. Most pe- most people aren't getting a look. So if you were like say the eighth polling candidate in a, in a ranked choice scheme, um, you know people are going to just either ignore you entirely, or they're not going to rank you even where they would rank you. So I think that's the problem. It requires a highly educated electorate. And that really understands the scheme. And I, I got to tell you, I know a lot of people with master's degrees and doctorates who did not understand how this worked. They sent out a 40-page booklet to explain it. It was like... Are you serious? 40? Impossible. Yeah, it was like ridiculous. Um, I kept it because it's such an interesting artifact of, of, of election arcana. That is horrendous. 
You don't do that. I mean, it has to be something that's a snapshot to explain. Otherwise, you're never going to, people aren't going to read a book to go vote. They're just not. That's right. And it's a boring book, too. <laughs> oh, that's horrendous. Like longer than the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> not as good. Definitely not as good. Right. Wow. Okay, that is disturbing, Ted. Man, I hate that you said that. Let me ask you this. Would any of the other Democratic candidates in the primary have been able to make an adjustment beyond what Eric Adams has done? Meaning, I get that he has failed and I get that he's losing the city. But is that a situation that anybody, given the, let's say, problems and the difficulties that he's confronted with, will come to the same disastrous ends? Or could they have done something different? But de Blasio wasn't doing so hot either. Yeah, exactly. It's two back-to-back Democrats. And and again, I just I can't get over the bedazzled blazer. It just <laughs> I'm sitting here looking just, at it now. <laughs> you're, you're you're new in office. You've got like three strikes. Somebody just shot shot somebody else in the face near where Ted lives. Like, d- dude, you just started. Like, you just keep swinging, and just it's a miss. Yeah, it's very disappointing. Burning the candle at both ends. Could anybody have done anything different, Ted? Well, I think uh, maybe we should have elected a, a, an actual defund the police. Uh, person, because, you know, the, the police are on strike anyway. So why are we paying them? I mean, I think that's what was going on silently with de Blasio. Uh, the, the cops were sitting on their hands and he couldn't admit that because it exposed his weakness. Now, Adams ran as the guy who could get the cops out of the precinct house into the streets where it mattered and getting guns off the street and so on. But, you know, the fact is the cops you know, they're kind of like, well, thank you. We appreciate the fact that you were an ex-cop, but ultimately you haven't done anything for us. And so therefore we're not, we're not getting out. So the cops are just nowhere to be seen. There are no, you know, remember the subway shooting at 36th street in Brooklyn, um, you know, nobody, and I guess you could call it a gassing too. Uh, nobody has been, uh, you know, there, nothing has changed. They said that they were going to flood the, the subway system with police. They have not. Nothing has happened. It's like that event never occurred. I think Adams, from what I've been able to read between the lines and sort of his party organ, which is the New York Post, is not able to get the cops out. He's been trying to, um, but they just won't go. And they're sitting on their hands, and that's it. So you think they're on basically a, a strike or unannounced strike, basically? That's right. I think they're, it's blue flu. I think it's like a it's a, you know, it's not a sick out. It's sort of a sit on there, you know, and it goes all the way to the upper levels where it wouldn't be tolerated. Are you serious? I mean, that's astonishing because I've known you say that uh, you've said on more than one occasion, New York needs cops. This is not a city <laughs> that can run without cops. You said it more than once. And look, this is a lefty, right? You're coming from this as a lefty. We need this in order to operate. Otherwise, New York goes extremely bad. Is that where you guys are currently, where things, is it, and is it even understood that they are doing that? It is. I mean, I've always, look, I'm, I'm very not into cops. I, right. Um, you know, I, 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 I was fired by the LA Times because the cops bought the paper, okay? The LAPD hated me. So I, I totally, yeah, it, I'm not pro-cop, but yeah, New York City's, first of all, a different case. It's one of the few cities in the country where, say, pre-pandemic, New York was always going to need a, a visible police force. Um, and that's, you know, that's, there's a lot of towns that could do without cops entirely or could go with a quarter of the number that they have now. Um, New York's not one of those places. So uh, there needs to be visibility. It's a, it's a deterrent, not to mention, uh, you know, New York uh, cops are good at stopping 
uh, small crimes from becoming bigger crimes, from start from stopping one mugging from becoming sort of a wolf pack, you know, gang night of gang violence kind of situation. That just doesn't, you know, the, the cops are not around. Uh, the you know the parks are are devoid of cops. The subways are empty. You know this it's 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 bleak. Wow, Ted, thank you for this, man. That is, yeah, thank you, Ted. The voice you're listening to is Ted Rawl. He's American columnist, syndicated editorial cartoonist, and author. You guys are listening to Faultlines. Thomas, Manila Chan, we'll be taking your calls when we come back. The number is 202-521. Oh, oh, geez. The number, 1320. Thank you, 1320. Dropped out of my head at the last minute. But look, we'll be taking your calls when we come back. Faultlines, Thomas, Chan, back in a moment. Faultlines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. And we have calls. A lot of calls today. A lot of so calls. So we got to keep them short. Yes, the number is 202-521-1320. That is 202-521-1320. Let's go to Tarif from New Orleans. What's, What's up, going buddy? on, Tarif? How's it going, my man? How y'all doing? Thanks for taking my call. Good morning. Uh, first, I'd like to say, Fruit Drew and Assange, I have three quick comments. The first comment, Russia, I mean, the United States is going to Africa, asking nations to have a no-fly zone for the, um, against the uh, Russian mili- uh, mercenary group called Wagner Wagner Group. Mm-hmm, yes. They're trying to convince, trying to convince uh, countries in Africa to have a no-fly zone so the uh, Wagner Group won't get to the Prince of Destination. They already talked to Chad, Niger, Algeria, and um, and Guinea, uh, um, I don't think they accept it. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but, you know, so the U.S. is trying to, you know, cause trouble over there now. The second part is dealing with the, um, Putin just signed a degree uh, day, dealing with the act with um, uh, taking responses to retaliatory responses to countries that's unfriendly to Russia. If the uh, these countries touch the uh, citizen Assets, like I was talking about yesterday with the $500 billion we have, well, this would give Russia the legal president to pay, basically um, withhold that money and put it into the, into the um, government, into the coffers, right? So he just signed it today. My last comment, if this is just speculation, but I'm starting to hear this is becoming more and more f- frequent, different people posting this, dealing with a, in the Azovstal, um, bunker system. A Canadian general named Trevor Tinder was, they say, was caught. I don't know when. They say he was caught and he was taken to Russia to be interrogated. Had they? So I heard about, okay. So I knew that they were saying there were reports that there were people, well, let's say mercenaries. Russia always calls them mercenaries because they never accept that these guys are fully working with foreign governments, but whatever. But Canadian um, military commander. In, on Sunday level that worked under NATO. And there was a question about whether or not this guy was in the plant and whether or not that was one of the reasons or rationales for all of those helicopters and everything else that they kept trying to get him out, but the thing kept crashing and everything else. Some people thought it was just because it was Azov and Azov had such political clout. Other people thought there were actual people down there that they just didn't want to be found. Hence, they were willing to lose all of this military equipment to try to get him. If you're saying that they basically captured that guy, we will see. 
I haven't seen reports about them I capturing. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Tarif, where are you seeing that from? Where are you seeing that? I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just curious about where. I want to check it out. Oh, myself. he can send that to us. He's yeah. got he's got our email contact. Oh yeah, just send it to us. Just send Tarif. it to us, Tarif. Thank you so much. Thanks, my man. No problem. All right, so let's go to the next caller. Always enjoy Therese's call. He always points us out to stuff. Um, it's Sanchez in Southern California. Manila was like, I know where Southern Cal is. That's your home place, well, right? not only SoCal, broadly. I mean, we're five, six tours. Yep, we're all five, six tours. A most gruvacious morning to the both of you. Thanks, my man. Uh, I, uh, I want to offer, before I begin here, real quick, a little bit of trivia and another SoCal connection that you're going to freak out on, Manoa. Uh, have you had Dr. Bill Honigman on the show recently? I don't know that name. Bill Honigman, he's an advocate for health care for all. I know he's been on thought lines before. Dr. Bill and I went to the same high school. No, really? He's, he's another 5'6 tour? Okay, I got to look him up. You got to inbox me that. Okay. All right, I'll, I'll let you know about him. Um, I just have a quick comment here. For as long as I can remember, the Democrats have used abortion as the carrot on a stick. I, I'm thinking of like the old black and white little rascals movies that they used to have with the donkey and the kids would be on a rickety wagon where the wheels would go revolving back and forth. That's the Democratic Party. And the donkey, they hold the carrot out so the donkey will pull the cart. The donkey being anybody that's voting for the Democrats. They use abortion as just a ploy to hold on to get all of that campaign, all that luscious money. The donkey is pulling the wagon and politicians are always, always, it gets on my nerves that they offer these empty promises and slogans that they never intend on keeping. They're just playing us. Agreed. They could have actually made, as Ted, the point that Ted made, the Democrats during the Obama years had a supermajority. They could have cemented this into actual law, and they just never did. So you have to wonder when you could have easily sailed it through with a supermajority in Congress and, and President Obama there. But guess what? President Obama didn't want that on under his legacy either. And there's no incentive for them to do it. That's the other point. I mean, it's that— Look, I know some people think it's like, hey, why don't they get in and do this and do that? Look, there's not an incentive for it. From their standpoint, having that as this kind of lingering thing just works yeah, for them. Go ahead, Sanchez. Final thoughts on that. No, what happened to the idea that somebody was presenting of adding more judges to the Supreme Court? Whatever happened to that? Yeah, out the window. Ditched it immediately. Not Ditched popular. it immediately. It was not popular. It's like, oh, they're packing the court. They're packing the court. Yeah, they don't have the stones to push through stuff like that. Not typically. And like I said, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, some of the Democrats are having a fight now over whether you even say abortion or choice and how to talk about this and everything else. Uh, so to, yeah, to your point, Sanchez, right on. We have one more caller. Thank you, Sanchez. Nathan in Atlanta. Nathan, what's going on, my man? How you doing this morning? Hey, good, guys. Just, uh, just uh, working right now. But uh, I just want to uh, give a call because I am looking forward to November. Um, I thought uh, Trump's re-election from uh, Trump's re-election would be the final nail in the coffin for the uh, the Democrats, but it look, it's looking like they're doing it themselves. Uh, it, even with the abortion um, uh, fiasco that's going on right now, even I don't think that that'll even help the Democrats in the upcoming elections. In my opinion, even the uh, it only. Re- it only bring out maybe a handful of people, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. The the odds makers in, in Vegas, they are good at what they do. They know. 
They know the red wave is coming. Yeah. I, I, I think it might actually surprise them and it'll be like a tsunami. Oh, we'll, we'll find out. What, what, six months, give or take? Um, we also have Mark in New York. Mark, what's going on, man? Yes, good morning. Good morning. I'll be as quick as I can. Uh, certainly on Ted Rawls' comments about the ranked choice voting, um, to suggest that voters are that ignorant and that, the, that he also said that the news media, the media will not focus but on one candidate says, again, we are no, that would, if that is the case and if the media is controlling the vote, it would be the same whether it's the uniparty or the two bi-parties, Republican and Democrat, because Wall Street and money in there will select who they want to have to focus on. But the good thing about Rent Church Board and getting a 40-page manual— That's insane. To read if you're—yes, if you have any civic sense of duty, is to read, to educate yourself and stop wanting to have a gun. Come on. Come on. Come on. Mark, come on, Mark. Come on, Mark. Who does that? Mark, I understand. Look, I get it, right? This is kind of the old Republican thing of like, hey, man, if you really want to vote, you should just go in and get your ID, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, that is great, but that is not necessarily the way people work in practice. I mean, so— People don't even go vote because they have to get up off their duff. Yeah, to get a 40-page document. Practice. People are in practice because of Pavlov's dogs. If you don't teach them to hunt, they don't know to hunt. Agreed. This is what educating Americans are about. This is why we're so stupefied as Americans. Mark, come on, Mark. No, I don't. Hold up a minute. Hold up. The Russians and the Chinese got engineers left and right, and all of these great people. We are lazy people. We got in social, and we get behind these computers and bark like dogs, and that's how we're winning. We're winning the hearts and minds of America because we're so stupid. Oh, I'm with you. The problem we have, this is why we can walk into walls, walk into a nuclear war, let these dumb people in Washington control us because we don't want to do the work. I get oh, that, Mark. I'm, I'm with you, but I don't think it, retraining Pavlov, Pavlov's dog doesn't begin at 18 and over for voting. I would say it has to start all over in preschool, yes. not with a voting manual. That's, yeah. that's kind of weird. If but, your objective is to get those people to vote, giving them a 40-page document is not going to do it. I'm talking just about that more, the consensus uh, overall yeah. of what we need to do as Americans and stop allowing this one thing. We, we, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I'm sure you do. I did not have time to explain the problem we're faced with. We are a failed state masquerading as some side of great nation. And we're about to get our... Ain't going to fight you on that, Mark. Ain't going to fight you on that. Uh, thank you for calling. We have one more. David in New York City. We got to make that a quick one. Hi, yes. Uh, uh, well, I, I, a pessimistic view on the Ukraine situation. Uh, I, I can't see any way in which the U.S. Or, or Ukraine will agree to recognize the Donbass or, or Crimea. There's, there's simply no way. Uh, so, uh, and, and even if they do, look at the Minsk Accords. They, 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 they agreed to that and, 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 and never those agreements. So there's, there's no way that the Donbass is going to be a safe zone for years to come. I mean, even if Russia completely liberates the Donbass, there'll be attacks of, of all kinds. Yeah, it's going to be chaos. David, thank you, my man. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Great calls. Yeah, absolutely. Fault Lines. Thomas Chan, back in a moment. Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe, 
Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamaro Thomas. And floating around somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. That means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. You know what? That grows on me. Both of them work for me. Either Manila Chan or Chan. I think both of them work for some reason. I'm not sure why. You elongate the and, it gives a little more time. So I think that works. Chan. No, no. And. And. Right, right. And Chan. (laughs) <laughs> but great show today. Great callers. Yeah, the callers are on point. Um, I massively disagree with the 40-page thing. <laughs> Look, I agree with them. I agree with this overall conversation of like, dude, this is stuff that we need to understand and learn from standpoint. Meaning, what is yeah, the point Mark, of having a civics Mark, course? To Mark in New York, I agree. Agreed. We have stupefied the country, yes. to use his term. Agreed. But you... By the time you're voting age, and it's not typically an 18-year-old, we're talking about, about 40, 40 plus. 50, 60, yeah. 40 plus. If they are not interested in reading this, first of Book. all, you're too busy yes. at 40. Let's say let's let's say people aren't dumb. But at 40 years old, you're likely to be busy working full-time, maybe two jobs in New York Life, City. You kid, got kids works, and all yeah. that. Who is gonna read? a 40-page manual on how to rank voting choice. Yeah, that's intense, man. I don't know why they would even do that. That's so weird. But look, is what it is. I agree with his overall point, though. His overall point is correct. We dumb down our population. Like, civics is not perfunctory in the way that I think we deal with it in schools. Um, that should be something this, that is hard, like, brutally this ingrained. This needs to start in preschool, yeah. in kindergarten, not... You train kids to read and do things... Right now, we're training kids, our whole society, because of social media and video games and what have you for instant gratification. And and that involves even people of our age and, and everyone younger. So basically, the end of Gen X and younger, we're all largely, we are Pavlov's dog. Computers, we, civilization. Computers, society. click, instant gratification, like there's, there's no long form anything anymore. Courting. Courting is now on Tinder. That's not courting, children. That's not courting. There's a picture. Right. This person's showing you're her, hot. They're, yeah. It was like, that's you're not, sexy. That's not. No, sexy is four letters. Hot's three. So they go with three. So <laughs> for real, it's it's just instant gratification. So when Those you. Those sites are so weird. Yeah. They're when, so weird. Oh, when, so when you, when you, when it comes down to voting, like I get why uh, as a theory, it would make more sense. Like rank choice. Yeah. I get it. Like. First hottest, second hottest, third hottest yeah, kid in school. I get it. But then if you're not, like you said, there's no runoff like in France. Because we can't get people to go to the polls one time tomorrow, yeah. much less two times for the same election. Yeah. Not going to happen. Much, much less read 40 pages. 40 pages is it? So New Any York, you look at it. This yeah. is, so you guys did that. Now you have Mayor Adams. Yes. With his bedazzled jacket at the Met Gala. Stepping over mortally wounded people <laughs> to get to the gala. It is drink and a dance jig on a Tuesday night. You're Reach so out. mad about him dancing. I'm, I'm so not annoyed with that. that. I'm not mad about that. Look, if Eric Adams had New York, like where it's like, you know what? Things have gotten better. The subways are clean. People aren't sleeping and peeing in the subways. It, people aren't getting shot in <laughs> Ted, um, Ted Rawls' block. Then at that point, I was like, dance your well, jig, do your drink, I burn the candle at both ends. God bless. I would say this. He just got inaugurated like 
literally like two months ago. And he should be he should so be ensconced in right, work, right. trying to get this stuff done, right. not at a club. So to that point, I agree with. It's too soon. You got to go in like I'm bitter about it. I'm bitter about it. Go in I don't even live there. I lived in New York for a little while, but it was upstate New York um, when I was with my ex at the time. Oh, upstate, yeah. Yeah. Uh, different animal. Different animal. Completely different, different animal. animal. We used city? to go to the city every mm. so often. I used to love the subways. That's Ew. what makes it so painful here yeah. now. Because for me, it gets you, it allows you to get from point A to point B no, in these kind of fast useful, ways. It's very it's useful. Disgusting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying it's, you know, oh, beautiful. I'm just oh. saying it's useful. Um, but I keep hearing it is far worse now. And the way Ugh. Ted talks about it, where it's like, dude, there are no cops. You hear people talking about being scared that's to go into the scary. subways. That's sad. I mean, that's, yeah, that's horrendous. And, and I could tell you from all the Asian circles that I know that a lot of, with the whole Asian hate they happening. They just avoid it people, in general. Asian folks in New York are not comfortable. I don't think people, like, that should not be a situation in a society where we're looking at people as being free to move and go about their own without necessarily feeling threatened yeah. by it. Mary that Adams, is a radical if you're um, listening, if, if you're going to party, at least wait till after your 90 days. Yes. Yes. Just give it 90 days. Or at least, at least you get some accomplishments. I know. I mean, this notion that people get... Ted is like... I mean, that's not the only time Ted was saying how, like, gun bullets, like, whizzing by his head and whatnot is going to the car. You're like, what? Yeah. I'm like, is that New York? That sounds like The Walking that, Dead. That should not be a regular Tuesday. No. No. For any American. <laughs> it shouldn't be a regular Tuesday, which that's is kind of my point about Adams. You should not be at that gala, bro. Like, just... Not yeah. be at the gala, bro. I think it's a bad look, and I don't mean just his jacket, yeah. because that was really bad. How just dare put you? out a press statement. I am busy at work. I am trying to do the job of the mayor. And I would have been like, good job. Right on. Eric Ad was making the choice to do the work. Whether you're doing it or not is irrelevant to the point, no. but at the very least, you you're know putting what, it out there. You know what this means to me, Jamaro, is that if Mayor Adams is, is hobnobbing with all these people yeah. in his first 90 days in office— what that usually reveals to me as somebody that has reported on these folks for almost two decades, that's usually an indicator of eyeballing a higher office. Interesting. A much higher office. So Despite they don't, the level of failure that's taking correct. place here as You mayor. fail up. If you want to come to Washington, D.C., this is the only place that will allow you to fail upwards. Okay? So watching Mayor Adams not really do anything, get no accomplishments in his first 90 days. Oh, you think this is his plan for success? He is hobnobbing with the hoity-toity and well-to-do. The oh, that's a good point! Because you need money to get elected. Correct. 90 per- 90% of the races are Correct. won by the side with the most cash. Correct. So now that he's got the name brand recognition of being the mayor of New York City, and he, I guess, seems more likable than de Blasio. De Blasio, yeah. Was, was a not, not cantankerous character, yeah. Right. <laughs> he was not He's likable just, in the least. People did not like him as a, as a human being. People just found him foul. But Mayor Adams seems like he could be potentially likable. He's got the race card going, the ex-cop thing going. So for me, if I were to read the tea leaves, I would say... He's hobnobbing, not doing his job because he wants to fail up into Washington and get out of New York. De Blasio tried that, but like you said, De Blasio was unlikable. No one liked him. Yeah, he was you unlikable. He's unlikable. Even in those debates, he was unlikable. Yes. That was greatly unlikable. Who cuts a Snickers bar with a <laughs> fork and knife? Get out of here. All right, let's let's hop over to headlines. Uh, first off, we want to wish our Muslim friends out there and listeners Eid Mubarak. It's been a long month. Uh, Let's head to national domestic news here. So 
the major headline here, apparently a majority of the justices on the U.S. Supreme Court, SCOTUS, have indicated that they are prepared to overturn the right to abortion, a new protection granted under the new, air quotes, under the landmark Roe v. Wade decision back in January 1973. That's according to a leaked draft opinion that came out late last night. Politico published this 67-page document, which was authored and circulated by Justice Samuel Alito, and it's described as an initial draft that's a majority opinion that would effectively revoke federal abortion protections and grant authority back to the states. And beginning yesterday, the Navy started to move approximately 260 sailors living aboard the USS George Washington to, quote, an off-sites barracks-type living arrangement in Norfolk Naval Shipyard in Portsmouth, according to an announcement reviewed by Military.com. Leadership with the nuclear-powered aircraft carrier, which since 2017 has been dry docked in Virginia for maintenance and modernization, will now begin offering temporary off-ship housing for sailors following a series of sailor deaths, a string of, of deaths, suicides, and what have you, and accompanying complaints about working and living conditions aboard this vessel. So it's got to be pretty bad. And then in international news, Israel has summoned Russia's ambassador to their country, Anatoly Viktorov, on Monday over Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov's comments about Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and Adolf Hitler. Foreign Minister Yair Lapid called those comments, quote, unforgivable and outrageous and a terrible historic mistake, adding, quote, the Jews did not murder themselves in the Holocaust. Lapid went on to suggest that, quote, on the base level of racism against Jews is to blame the Jews themselves for anti-Semitism. And then Taiwanese authorities are searching for a stopgap alternative to the U.S.-sourced M109A6, better known as the self-propelled howitzers amid delays to the delivery of their order. In case you haven't been following, Ukraine has been getting all the howitzers from all the Defense Department and their manufacturers here in the U.S. So Taiwan's Ministry of National Defense said, in response to media reports on the case of the M109A6 self-propelled guns arms sale, that, quote, the, they're very upset The U.S. side has informed us that this system will not be delivered until 2026 at the earliest. So they're pretty mad at having to wait a few years. So I don't know what they plan on doing between now, 2022 and 2026, before they get more howitzers, especially since they, you know, the U.S. has been trying to gin them up for war with the mainland. Right. Isn't it weird, though? I mean, when you think about it. NATO, what, all of these nations that are basically combined for to fight, what, the Soviet Union. Well, Soviet Union doesn't exist, but NATO kept going. And yet, when it comes down to the weapons, this conflict has been going on for two months and they're already out of weapons. How weird is that? Right, so we're going to send them more, and then we're going to tell all the other people that no, purchased them. No, I mean, them. the NATO nations are running out of weapons oh, and materials to right. send. Right, we it's are too. It's only been two months. We, we are too. 
We have given them some of our own personal stock. Right. I'm so just thinking like, how weird that is that these guys have been preparing for war for 40 years and they're running out of weapons within two months. They, you know, it's a lot of talk. It's a lot of talk. And I mean, that's it's that's what D.C. is. Place for a lot of talking, not a lot of action. Uh, then in tech news, the EU commission has issued a statement of objections to Apple on Monday over the tech giant's supposedly abusive practices in the field of mobile wallet technology. The company has been using its, quote, dominant position in the market to bar third-party services from accessing software and hardware on the devices facilitating the contactless payments. That's according to a filed document. Then in Earth Science News, the number of children affected by an undocumented acute hepatitis of unknown origin is seeing a spike around the world. It's now made its way to Denmark. The State Serum Institute, SSI, reported a total of six cases so far with sufferers ranging in age from 2 to 14. Although known viruses may be the cause, experts say the evidence still doesn't add up because the disease isn't following the normal pattern of most common forms of hepatitis ranging from A to E. Then in business news, the U.S. Federal Reserve is expected to make its biggest interest rate hike of the century uh, tomorrow. They're going to take a firmer stance against depreciating value of the U.S. dollar. So we'll see what that looks like tomorrow. And this day in history, 1913, the first Indian full-length feature film has premiered and gave birth to Bollywood. Uh, 1958, Truman Capote's book, Breakfast at Tiffany's is published. In 1978, the Digital Equipment Corporation sends the first spam email. Okay. Maybe worth some money? <laughs> Maybe an EFT of it somewhere? I don't know. <laughs> NFT? NFT, excuse me. EFT is a whole different thing with trading. Yeah, that's money electronic. That's, yeah. NFT. I don't keep up with it. I'm not into this NFT world. The only reason that came to mind immediately because there is some NFT that came out about something else like yesterday. That's like just, lost like lost its value or something? I, I saw something. I don't that. remember what, maybe. I don't remember. I follow so much news I know. across so many it's different countries. It is hard to keep up. And then all these, all it's, these uh, shortened names of every EFT, NFT. Yeah. That's <laughs> not just floats in. Yeah. AFL-CIO. Uh, you just, you're like, well, oh. And then 1978. The Iron Lady, Margaret Thatcher, elected the first female British prime minister ever. 1999, a tornado produces the highest wind speeds ever recorded. And that is your day in history for today, Tuesday, May 3rd. You are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. Yeah, the UK has had a few women prime ministers. I mean, and I remember at one point, I think it was now. when Theresa May yeah, was yeah, in office. Now. Where they Not were like, many, um, yeah, yeah. I mean... They made a comment saying something like, I thought all women were prime ministers. Because if you think about it, when Theresa May was prime minister, then you look back at Margaret Thatcher, who had this kind of domineering appearance as prime minister in the 80s. Um, maybe. But, yeah, they've had far more than we've had in this country, oh, yeah. to put it. As president, obviously. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. And the conservative party were like, well, we've had no issue putting in women in that position. What about labor? Blah! In the background and all this other stuff. Yeah, Love but their stuff. country is also much older yes. than our country. Oh, yeah. So, 
I think people fail to put that into context where it's like, okay, that culture, that country. Like thousands of years right, of British history. Has existed for so much longer. So you all have had more time to work out <laughs> this family infighting of how your culture works and how you view women and how you, you know, yeah. they've had way more time. The American society is only like, what, 240-ish Give or take, yeah. years old. It's not, you know, relative to empires. It's not that old. No, we're pretty young in that sense. Um, so, yeah, like you said, they had a chance to work it out. Yeah. But still. <laughs> still we're true. not quite there yet. Yeah, we're not there yet. You know what I find interesting about when, especially, I mean, we were just talking about likability. Yeah. And I'll, I'll make this brief is like, I think it's so important to bring up, uh, there's this discrimination against women being likable. Yeah. Right? Like they say, Hillary's unelectable because she's not likable. And I and I get that. I agree that she's not a likable person, just like Bill de Blasio right. does not seem like a likable person. Yeah, that has nothing about his, you know, penis. That's just right. him. Right. right. It's just, these are as people. Um, but it's so much, it, that's you and me talking about de Blasio not being likable. Being likable is something that is typically applied to a female politician. Typically. I'm trying to think of who else. Give me another person outside of Hillary Clinton. I mean, most people, no one likes Elizabeth Warren. Not nobody. They're. No, I have very specific reasons I don't like Elizabeth Warren. That has nothing to do with her gender. But if you look at the likability polls, there are polls for this. They tend to gear those polls only to women. It's like, how likable is she? But then, well, then you have the beer, by the way. The, the beer thing. The That's beer what I was going to go to. Like George, which like um, they Who said, nobody with? wants to have a beer without Gore, but everybody wants to have a beer right. with George Bush. And you know how that came about? It was an Anheuser-Busch campaign, I think, or another beer company maybe. <laughs> but I'm not kidding. It started out as a, as a, as a joke poll. But isn't that a likable factor also? Yes like, However no. it started. Yes Do you no. like Al Gore more than you like George Bush? Or even like the Obama thing, would you like to have a beer with this guy? Isn't that on some level, who do you like more? But here's my point is, why should we have to like, like, why should I want to have a beer with either people? I want the most competent person that represents my values. Agreed. I don't care if you're an ass clown. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I, get I mean, that. If, you're an, if you are an ass clown, I probably wouldn't want to hang yeah. out with you anyways. But, or I might, because having a beer with an ass clown is pretty fun. It's like, if you're an ass, but you can get your job done. That's right. Yeah. But no, if you're, usually if they're an ass, they're at least fun to have a beer with. But it's probably not the guy that I want yeah. to run Washington. But I don't think likability is, in fact, you should be a hard ass. If you're going to be running, making tough decisions, running government and things happening here on Capitol Hill, making tough decisions, you're probably someone that's under a lot of stress. And you should be unshakable in character, not chill and like <laughs> hanging um, out like the Fonz. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't need to be to see my politician be likable. Yeah. But I think it's unfairly applied to women. Unfairly. Okay. Kamala Harris. Nobody likes her. Even her own party doesn't like her. They find her unlikable. But again, but that's not a factor of her female qualities. That's no, no, a factor they, of her. No, I, you and I agree, but the rest of the country, that's not the case tomorrow. You have to dig into this and, and look into the gender part okay. of how it is applied specifically to women. I don't know if this is something that I would say is applied specifically to women and if they're not necessarily things that's that what, apply to men. However, I would say this. These are the polls. I would say this. 
I didn't make this up. These are the polls. They're okay. these things you can read and you can see. Okay. But you and I— I'm not saying you're wrong. You and I are saying this is a— This is just one of those things I would have to look at. You and I would apply this to anybody. It's like de Blasio, ugh, I wouldn't want to hang out with yeah. a dude that eats Snickers with a knife and fork. Like, I, I would say this, though. That? Human beings under normal circumstances have a difficulty, especially when something is far away from them. Meaning, you have a politician. You see this guy on media, see this guy on television. What do you use as a human being to make a determination about whether or not you're going to vote for this person or that person? Now, we would say, well, you look at what the person's policy was. You look at what the person said in the previous past. You look at that's not the way I think people consume politics. Oftentimes they look at somebody. They may have political distinctions. I'm a Democrat. That person is a Republican. And so they kind of vote in this kind of thing. But I think many people look at the person and think, what is that person like? And if that person is something like me, then I can evaluate or at the very least believe that the way that they make decisions and stuff is going to be similar to my own. Now, this is ludicrous. Agreed. Because the whole politics is shaping their image to be a particular thing and everything else. So you can't necessarily rely on image. But I think people, human beings, look at the political world in the same way they look at themselves and the people that are around them. And they make certain assessments, false, unfortunate assessments based on what they think themselves would do and the people around them would do, and they apply it to the political leaders that they're looking at. I'm not saying that's great. Right. That's, that is a horrible <laughs> thing to do. That's the best way to no, pick it, your politician. It is not. But I really think that's what it is. And so they would say, not to mention heavy influence by the way the media shapes a particular opinion around a politician. So, like, for example, Elizabeth Warren. You would have Elizabeth Warren who rises in the polls for a little bit, and then they focus their attention on, um, uh, what is it, Buttigieg? And then Buttigieg rises and opposes a little bit. Then it focuses attention on that. And that person rises and opposes a little bit. It's like it's the level of influence that media has. Even it's very weird. It's almost like um, an anomaly. In one sense, you would have, okay, the public doesn't respect media and doesn't pay attention to it. I think the polling at it, the lowest that it's ever been with the exception of maybe one year. By the same token, you could also see that influence on the public. Nevertheless, right. it's very strange this is, um, this is contradiction. What I'm saying, is, is the, not only the polling there's real polling data, and then there's polling data from stuff like the beer challenge. Of yes. Who, you know, who would you rather, what politician would you rather have a beer with? It's like, I don't want to have a beer with any of them. I just want to do their jobs. Right. But this is the manipulation of the PR companies, the manipulation of the media to influence for the candidate that they want. It's not necessarily what you want or what I want or what they want. This is the job of PR companies and the job now of today's media. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't think about that part. So when you hear that so-and-so is unlikable, whether you already naturally disliked, say, Kamala Harris. It has an effect. It has an effect because it, it amplifies that original feeling that you didn't like her anyways. Right. You're like, well, everybody else agrees with me. Yeah, exactly. Everybody else hates her too. So then you double down on hating her. You dumb, I mean— I'm not defending Kamala Harris, believe no, me. That's just the crowd effect of media and the way that that operates. In fact, right. that's why it's important. That's why they even do that on some level, where they're like, all of these people agree that so-and-so is the case. And the moment that you write an article, it makes it look like a larger body of people have agree with us, right. even though it's just one person who wrote an article. Right. Yeah. It it's, gives it this kind of word of God almost right. associated and, with and it. it. Yeah. And it influences. It is the, the power of the press. It is the power of PR companies knowing how to get under your skin into your brain. It's a lot of psychology that is involved in these campaigns. And that's why I say when Mayor Adams um, is not effectively doing anything yeah. in his first 90 days, except apparently hobnobbing, Partying. it's because <laughs> I think he is looking to fail up and he's looking for a national 
position. National profile for it. Absolutely. Either maybe governor, um, and then you that's usually the way up, right? You go yeah. mayor, governor, and then, you I know, I suspect that's where Cuomo Senator. was going. Yeah. I, right. Cuomo, Until he Cuomo, couldn't keep his hands himself. Right. Cuomo thought he was going to be the 2024 nominee. Oh, yeah. He thought it was a lock. And if you remember, they had went so far as to say, maybe we should have Cuomo instead of a Biden. And who? I mean, they wanted him to jump in the race, if you remember. And who put that in everyone's head? The media. Yeah. The media. He, they were, at, they were airing his his daily press briefings across national news. By the way, Not nonsense local. press briefings because yes. he was lying about the numbers. Correct. And yet they were playing it like, look how competent he is but in comparison CNN, to the president. CNN, a national and international broadcaster, was airing yeah. Qu- Governor Cuomo's daily mini press briefings. Those dodgy press briefings. Right. And putting it on the national scale because they were amplifying his voice to to propel him, push him up to the national level. Because at the time, he was a DNC darling. Yes. Until we found out he was a perv. Yes. Couldn't keep his hands to himself. Got a lot of grandmas killed in regards to the policies that he was pushing forth. Was an anger maniac. Some of the stuff were currently, of course, we knew. But hiding the number of elderly people that he and his policies ended up getting killed was atrocious. And I got to be honest, I think that's worse than him not being able to keep his hands to himself, to be honest, even though the, the inability, him being a pervert, apex pervert. Right. I'm sorry, not apex pervert. Maybe that's not more of a, yeah. That's but, Epstein level. Yeah, that's Epstein level yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah let's was, bring that was, down yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, let's bring that down. Back, not an apex back level. That up. Beta level. Right. Beta level. Beta pervert. pervert. Right. <laughs> beta level pervert. Epstein is the apex. Yeah. Beta. Yeah, beta level. Beta Weinstein, cool. Epstein, those guys yes. are apex. But nevertheless, can't keep his hands to himself. Um, never, and so, yeah, do you think he's going to be able to come back politically at some point? I mean, think about it. George Bush gets rehabilitated. You get the people who are in the Bush administration gets rehabilitated. They got a million people killed in that war. And yet George Bush becomes a darling of Democrats because of Trump and but how here, much they hate here's Trump. Here's the weird thing in the culture right now is that Americans or whatever side of the aisle they fall on, they can forgive Bush, Bush 2, we're talking about, right? Bush 2. Yeah. We're talking about Bush 2. They can forgive him w. W. For, for Dub uh, for killing millions of people, millions of brown people in the Middle East. Likewise, on the flip side of this, we can forgive Obama for killing hundreds and hundreds of thousands by way of drone. So each side of the parties can both ignore droning deaths. But when it comes to this pervert talk, nobody's very forgiving yeah. when it comes to that. Can't and, and, yourself, and Cuomo, mind you, before this pervert stuff came up, he was killing it yeah. in the likability pools. People were like, I want to date. Any. People want to date him. Oh, oh yeah. why? He People is... were saying he was the sexiest governor. People were, yeah. yeah women, Are you oh, serious? Yeah. Oh, God. I was gagging. But they gave him an Emmy. They gave him an Emmy. They gave him an Emmy. For a book that his his workers at the, wrote about how competent write, he was right. at dealing with COVID. So he's like, yeah, go over there and write this book about how great I am, how great I'm handling COVID. Despite the fact. And yeah, I mean, it's astonishing, right? I mean, like, and they boosted this guy, like you said, to a national profile Correct. because of the stuff. Look how great he's handling COVID. Look at the president of the United States who's failing miserably. And then you get Trump who's saying, look at all those deaths in New York. And so he lies about the numbers, believing that there was going to be some kind of federal focus on New York and the number of people that New York basically got killed. And so what did 
Cuomo do? He lied. Willfully, knowingly lied. Sadly, Americans forgive the deaths of people over there. Yes. But they don't forgive getting handsy with women (laughs) here. (laughs) That's what it is. Yeah. We have been conditioned to just forget moral outrage over the fact that we're killing innocent people because they are over there. How weird is that? We're disconnected from that, right? But the moment some girl looks like your sister or your cousin, then you're outraged. That's intolerable. That's intolerable. He put his hand up her shirt. Yes, that's awful. I agree that's awful, but... Murders are worse. But we won't... Right, we can forgive W. We can forgive Obama for killing people. It's as if people have this kind of weird take that just because you make a decision in an office that somehow you're disconnected from the decision that you make. Like, if I decide to press a button and a lot of people die as a result, it's like, well, you just press the button. This is not just a bureaucratic thing. These are people who are making choices, and those choices are having widespread effects outside in the outside world. And just because you're not over there doesn't necessarily mean that those things aren't happening. And I think the interesting thing with the Ukraine thing is those choices that they're making across the globe are affecting us now. Like, when we're talking about Iraq or we're talking about some of those other countries in the Middle East, when Obama knocks over Libya, the best that you get is just pundits talking about it. Like, oh, yeah, Obama did this. That's a great job. And, oh, Obama did this. That's a great job. Or, hey, have you guys seen? But that's just talking about something that is utterly horrific. I mean, they were basically selling slaves as a result of of U.S. actions. And Obama acted the first black president is responsible for slave... For new black slaves. new black slaves in Libya. Think about that. Think about how weird that is. And yet... And you know what he got granted? Netflix contract. And the Nobel Peace Prize. Let's not forget. That was in the first nine months of his his presidency after he droned... He sent out 59 drone missions in the first nine months and then he went up there and collected a Nobel Peace Prize and a million bucks. So people need to... We forgive that, though. We forgive that. But my point was that we don't forgive sexual predators, but we forgive killers. We you forgive think it's because bloody hands. People are disconnected from the killings of their actions. It's almost Correct. like if you had to um, kill a cow and it's you had to skin other. that cow and eat that cow, would you actually really do that? Would you continue to eat? Right. Exactly. If you had to butcher the cow yourself, would you eat it? Probably not. If you had to make that chicken nugget on your own, right? I mean, like rip the skin off, break the head, like they used to do in the old days. Uh, well, my, my grandmother, ring the uh, head of the chicken, know, the I thing know, used to I run know, around with no head on. I know, I've seen all that. My grandma, yeah, same thing. I've seen it, and it's just like, mm. if you had to be that grisly, would you do it? But our that is where America is has chosen to be blind. We've chosen to just accept that war is normal. We've normalized war. We have normalized the death and destruction of the other. We have normalized the pain of black and brown people and yellow people, people elsewhere, people anywhere else. That is normal for them to live like that. That is, that's why we're seeing the outrage over Ukraine right now is because they could pass as Americans, but we don't. We don't forgive, and I'm not saying we should, but the distinction between that and this is I don't think Cuomo can come back because for some reason we forgive the normalization of killing black and brown people, but we do not forgive the dude that hits on your sister. Shouldn't hit on my sister, man. That's, that's where we are know, in this country. I don't country. know those brown people. Shouldn't hit on my sister. I know my sister. That's right, but that's it's how that. it is. It becomes that. 
It becomes that. It's That's very okay. weird and disturbing. It's okay. Go kill yeah. those people. It's fine. Yeah, it's very weird. It's for freedom and democracy. It's fine. I mean, even with the Ukraine thing, they didn't want to own and acknowledge that the Russian speakers were Ukrainians. Even that's weird. I mean, because if you think about it, the moment that you admit that, you're stuck with this notion that this is a civil war instead of Russia is attacking Ukraine. There's a vast difference in the interpretations of those things. Like, because that gets you closer to the Vietnam stuff, right? I mean, we're, we get involved in a civil war in Vietnam. We start putting in advisors. We're doing that now. We start putting in weapons and money and mercenaries, et cetera. Yeah, we've seen this we put before. trainers on it. We've seen this before. And then it's like the president gets so wrapped up in the whole Vietnam thing. McNamara, there's this awesome clip or video where Kennedy dies and LBJ comes in and gives him the riot act. We're going to get back involved in that war. There's not going to be a situation where we pull out, et cetera, et cetera. I don't care what Kennedy wanted to do. It is a fascinating conversation between the two. But we got involved in that. And then you get to the point where you fuse your political identity with that war. And it's like, so now it's not just this particular political person is making a political decision to help. It's not that. It's everything, all political clout is wrapped in fashion around this particular political objectives that they don't have the ability to push through. And at what point does the president back away from that, especially when they are losing? Look, whatever you want to think about Ukraine, truth of the matter is Russia is accomplishing its objectives. The West is putting out farcical claims. They've even admitted that they've been lying for the last several months about stuff that's been going on. I don't take anything that these guys put out as straightforward. I tend to follow multiple sources to try to get an idea or some semblance of what is more likely to be true. At the point where Muripol falls, at the point where Russia is taking one city after the next over various places, and they're grudgingly, slowly making progress, eating through this kind of Ukrainian military, then I come away with that thinking, Ukraine is losing this and Russia is accomplishing the objectives that they want. Now, when it gets to the point where the propaganda could no longer deal with that, Meaning the propaganda is so farcically wrong in relation to what is taking place on the ground. What does the U.S. and NATO do? And I don't have an answer for that. And that scares me because right now we're literally in a proxy war with another nuclear power nation. And these guys are basically saying our job, our objective in this is to bleed Russia white. You get president of the United States, Joe Biden, making a statement saying, oh, my God, this guy needs to leave, which to me was basically – a combination of 40 years of foreign policy that has led to that particular moment where the U.S. president gets out and says to quiet part out loud. We want to eliminate Russia as a power source, which has been this kind of full spectrum dominant stuff that these guys have been living on. And if Russia goes down, China is isolated and by itself. I think all of this stuff is geopolicy in the way that they're looking at it. And I don't think they care one iota about the number of Ukrainians that are going to die as a result of this or that an exhausted, balkanized Ukraine is going to limp away from this conflict. They don't care one iota. That is disastrous. My question is, what does the U.S. president do when everything else that he's done from his standpoint of his agenda has failed? And now this issue becomes an unwinnable situation. Does he back away from it? And does he accept we lost? We didn't get what we wanted in this. Russia accomplishes its objectives. Do we ever? I know, but think about what that means. That is monstrous when you think about it. This is a war. Historically, the U.S. never backs away. I mean, how many Historically, people— Historically, it's not against a nuclear power nation, not in this well, way where true. these guys are at that's each other. But when you have warmongers on both sides of the aisle, this is the one thing everybody over there on Capitol Hill agrees on, is let's double down on Ukraine? Yeah. That is insane. Yes. You have anti-never-Trumper Adam Kinzinger putting up this 
AUMF that's going to lock us in. That's astonishing, by the way. That's going to lock America into war that nobody wants when it can easily be triggered by a false flag. Yes. He wants to lock us into war. That is a Republican. That is somebody, something that Liz Cheney would probably back because they are, you know, like mm-hmm. two peas in a pod. And that is also something Adam Schiff would agree on. Would agree. Gross. Like yeah. what? All three of you would agree on Full this. Full spectrum agreement. This is, this is what's really weird. This is the one area that all of Capitol Hill would agree on. So I would say, yes, nuclear power or not, they know. They know full well. They, this is the one area they agree on it all is let's go to war with Russia outright. Let's end this fake proxy thing. Let's just lock it in now on this contract, the AUMF. Let's write it in there. Lock the president into a choice. Make it, make it real easy. So, oh, a false flag, anything. Boom. We're in World War Three. People need to get how disturbing this is. And then to add the Ministry of Truth on top of it. So people who have an alternate opinion who points out how insane this is. What do you mean a Lend-Lease Agreement for Ukraine? How are they going to pay back the money for the weapons? What do you mean we're doing $33 billion? You and I would get silenced for being anti-war. Exactly. That's exactly because, my point. Because this would, I guess, somehow qualify as... Disinformation. Not only disinformation. This Remember, this falls under DHS. Yes. This would be, we would be a homeland security threat because we're saying let's not go to war when they're saying we have to go to war to protect the homeland. Right. And Just by the like way, the poor American kid that, that died the yeah. other day fighting in Ukraine. He believed he was going over there to keep Putin away from America. Right. Right. Cancel was his last name. Yes. Poor Joseph, Joseph Cancel, I believe. That poor kid. He was under. So delusional. He was under the, this disillusion that was given. By the mainstream media. all of the media, basically. Saying that this is right, right side of history. We got to fight them over there so they don't come here. And it's like, dude, do you honestly believe that Russia is going to land on American soil? What is your, what is is wrong with you? The Ministry of Truth is going to produce more of those young men. Useful idiots. That's what they're going to produce is these young men that believe they are going to go fight in Ukraine to protect their mom, their sister, from Vladimir Putin in America. That is not on the table, folks. I don't know Vladimir Putin, never spoken with man, never shaken his hand, but I can tell you, I feel safer with Vladimir Putin making the decision to not nuke than I do about America wanting to nuke. Especially when you have a propaganda arm that basically acts as if whatever you do is justified because you're doing it. The, and that's distur- so disturbing. I'm not, I'm not going to pin this on, on Joe Biden, but I'm going to pin this on, on the folks on Capitol Hill. He's president. Yeah, These are but, his choices to get closer to this yeah, conflict like this. He has wrapped himself politically president. in this. He's president, but president. It's Obama. That, that's what Tulsi Gabbard <laughs> said. I'm it's using Obama. the Tulsi. It's Obama. I think it's Biden. I really, first, I think it's Democratic ideology in general, especially around liberals. But I think this is Biden. I mean, whatever he wanted to do in the beginning, I think this is on him. But but who knows what's going on behind the scenes? Let's do this. We have our guests. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas, Chan, back in a moment, we're going to have this talk about Mint Press. Basically, PayPal has been eliminating various sources of information that they don't necessarily like. Independent media. Independent media, especially in the sense of Mint Press. Some of these guys we've even had on the show. Back in a moment, to have a conversation about it. Fault lines. 
Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. And as I mentioned before, Mint Press has been banned on PayPal. And PayPal has gone through and banned a few people, independent artists or independent journalists. And let's have a conversation about this. We're joined with Mamar Adley. She's founder, CEO, and editor-in-chief of Mint Press News and producer, host of the Watchdog Journalism. I'm sorry. There we are, behind the headline. Um, Minar, how are you doing this morning? Minar Adley, hello. Good. Hello, hello. Thank you guys for having me. No, Eid, we're... Eid Mubarak. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, we're on day two of Eid. Thank you so much. Day two. Um, I am, it is a unfortunate thing, reason to bring you on. Um, I've been in a situation where YouTube has basically demonetized my own channel, and I know how painful that was to have this overarching body that seemed, you know, this kind of voice of God or something make a proclamation against you that is greatly unfair. So I can't imagine what you're feeling at this particular moment. But it seems that PayPal has basically censored several accounts, Met Press being one of them. I mean, they even went after Alan McLeod. Alan McLeod has been somebody who's been on the show a few times. What is your take on this? How do you feel about this, I guess, for one? And how did this unfold? Did they contact you? Did they give you a heads up about this? What were the events surrounding this that allowed this banning to take place. How are they justifying this, Minar? Exactly. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's very upsetting and it's very concerning in terms of what this could mean for the future of independent, uh, dissenting, alternative journalism. Um, it really is outrageous to be told that tech giants, were, which are run by those who directly profit from the new Cold War, including the current crisis in Ukraine, could limit any journalist's ability to fund um, their work. We're basically living in an intellectual no-fly zone right now where online censorship of dissenting journalism has become the new norm. And the very U.S. sanctions regime that is trying to starve Russia, Venezuela, uh, Cuba, and Iran, and over 25% of the world's population is now targeting its own citizens uh, with its maximum pressure campaign through these big tech giants. And PayPal is one of those waging an economic war against alternative news and information and dissenting journalists. So, and they're doing this so that we can be forced to tow the official government line in order to survive as a journalist in alternative media uh, today. And so this just took place just last week. Um, I received an email from PayPal saying that our account um, is permanently banned. There's no uh, way to appeal and there's no one really to talk to about this. And we have been using PayPal at Mint Press for over a decade since the launching of our news outlet. And so we were using Mint Press to receive donations. We were we were using PayPal. Um, people were using PayPal. Our readers were using PayPal to uh, not only make donations to us um, when they wanted to, but to also uh, pay for their monthly membership campaign to support Mint Press. And then also um, Mint Press was using PayPal to pay our contributors. It's a really convenient way to pay uh, freelance journalists and investigative journalists all around the world. And so we have been using PayPal pretty much on a weekly basis. It was an integral part of our operations, of our business. And so it really is uh, disappointing to see um, us targeted um, but, you know, banning myself and Mitt Press and Caleb Maupin and Alan McLeod, our senior staff writer, is blatant censorship of dissenting journalists and outlet. And we know that there is now a witch hunt against independent journalists like ourselves 
who have been unapologetically working as a watchdog journalism outlet to expose the profiteers of the permanent war states. And we've been doing that for a decade from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan to uh, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, to Israel's occupation of Palestine, to Saudi Arabia's genocidal war in Yemen. And these big tech giants, um, because we're now in wartime with the new Cold War with Russia and the crisis in Ukraine raging on, um, you know, they're really cracking down now to ensure that any alternative, any alternative, any sort of exposure to their to their agenda, to the profiteers of this criminal war that's taking place in Ukraine and the U.S. you know, flooding of weapons into Ukraine and NATO's role into Ukraine is going to be uh, targeted. And so there's no question why uh, Mint Press and all other independent journalists um, have been targeted. But I just want to mention, too, that we do believe this is an organized campaign because just a month and a half ago, both of our GoFundMe fundraisers were also taken down without any notice, with no reason. And um, just a me- and even with the message saying that we could not appeal, they said, do not even respond to this email. You cannot appeal this. Uh, decision. And we had raised over $150,000 on GoFundMe. Luckily, we had already received, I would say, about 95% of the money. Um, so that's good they're news. Stealing. But they're stealing the rest. Absolutely. Wow. So there, there's no message about where the balance of your funds will go? Nothing? They said that um, whatever was left will be returned to the donors. Oh, interesting. That was GoFundMe. That was GoFundMe. Yeah. But it's clear they're trying to make it impossible for independent media outlets to survive. You know, they, they you know, in right now, the Daily Beast is target, you know, is writing hit pieces about independent journalists like yes. Max Blumenthal, uh, Ben Norton. I saw. And what are they saying? What are they saying about these journalists? Look at them. They're treating them with suspect. Look at them. They're They're appealing to their readers for funds as if right. that's like a suspicious thing to do. Meanwhile, the Daily Beast and all these big tech giants, the Washington Post, they're owned by billionaires. They're owned by Saudi monarchs. They're owned by, um, you know, they, they receive funding from like apartheid Israel and weapons manufacturers. And that's completely OK and legitimate. Right? Yeah, it's nonsense. It's extreme nonsense. And you're right. The Daily Beast had um, well, not just hit pieces on you guys. I mean, even um, what is it? Gonzo Lira. I mean, but they they threw in Lee Camp in this most recent. I mean, literally anybody that dissents to war, which I find very, it's not surprising to me because I've been obviously here for about a decade. So I've seen it firsthand. They love anybody that loves war. Uh, But Menard, the, the other side of this is do you think there's anything weird and coincidental with the timing, with the, the, uh, launch of the Ministry of Truth? And then suddenly, now the funds are being locked out for so many indie voices. Well, that's a really good point. I mean, you know, if we look at just PayPal in general, you know, it's founded by one of its founders is Elon Musk. <laughs> one of its founders is, you know, Pierre Omidyar, Peter Thiel. And so these are billionaires and they're very much intertwined and embedded with the national security state. Um, and so we have to remember that PayPal's uh, ban of Mint Press, like we're not the first. This this actually first started with WikiLeaks. Um, the backlash against Assange and WikiLeaks actually is the blueprint for today's censorship of dissenting voices. In fact, in 2012, an EU parliamentary uh, resolution criticized providers like PayPal for its arbitrary economic censorship because this really, um, you know, set a very dangerous precedent 
for First Amendment issues. And if you look at, you know, who's put been put in charge of this ministry of truth, um, you know, she is uh, a person, she's a Cold War warrior who has smeared in the past independent media, all independent media as Russian disinformation, including WikiLeaks. And so we have to be really, so I, we have to be careful about trusting anything uh, that comes out of the DHS in general because of the way that they've also treated protesters. I mean, the ACLU has warned, has called for the DHS to be completely dismantled for its uh, approach to protesters and uh, believes that it's, uh, you know, they violate people's uh, First Amendment rights. And now we have Nina Jankowicz, who ran basically regime change ops at a CIA front. She smeared independent uh, anti-war U.S. media outlets as Russian disinfo, and she's called WikiLeaks scum. I mean, there's a major conflict of interest here. And so is the DHS influencing these big tech giants? I have no doubt about this. I mean, Look at Facebook, for example. I mean, they're getting, they're being advised by the Atlantic Council, which is funded directly by NATO. It's funded by <laughs> weapons manufacturers. It's, 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 it receives funding from uh, many, uh, uh, you know, um, oppressive regimes like Israel and Saudi Arabia. Um, and so, I have no doubt that these big tech giants are being directly influenced um, and being told what to do by uh, DHS and any sort of national security agent. I mean, PayPal itself um, is is a partner of the ADL, the um, Anti-Defamation League, which is responsible for um, taking down hundreds of thousands of uh, Palestinian posts exposing uh, Israeli occupation and human rights yeah. abuses. So th- there's just no doubt. I have no doubt in my mind. Minar, before we got you on the phone, uh, Jamarl and I were talking about the role of media and how they have normalized the deaths of millions of Black and Brown and Asian people over the past 30, 40 years with this constant war state that the U.S. has lived in. And yet, you know, they have... I was saying that they would for, they forgive Obama and they forgive uh, George W. Bush for the bombings and the Iraq wars and what have you, but they won't forgive the you know the, with the Me Too movement behind them. They won't forgive um, someone like Andrew Cuomo to come back into office. What is the role of media in in both ginning up Andrew Cuomo uh, to move into the national spotlight, but at the same time normalizing? death and destruction in the Middle East and the deaths of the other over, because it's over there. It's not here. It's over there. Well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're living in a permanent war state and the biggest purveyors of propaganda and fake news uh, really is, um, you know, the corporate mainstream media, not independent alternative media. And that's why there's a witch hunt against independent alternative media, because they know that we're the ones at the forefront of exposing the national security state, the profiteers of uh, the war machine. And, you know, and, and in general, like the coverage of the wars has always been racist. You know, I'm a Muslim American, Palestinian American journalist, and I've lived through the post 9-11 wars um, as a, a teenager. And I've seen firsthand the way the media justifies all of uh, the wars in the Middle East and across Africa. Um, you know, after 9-11, Islamophobia was pushed so heavily to dehumanize the, the victims of our wars. And they took, you know, 
a very Wahhabi, Salafist, uh, extremist perspective that is funded uh, by the Saudis to paint all Muslims uh, through that lens as a barbaric, uncivilized, backwards people. These people have been fighting each other and killing each other for thousands of years kind of caricature to justify the wars in the Middle East. And so when we saw like the crisis in Ukraine start, um, the media was like in shock and awe, like, oh my gosh, how could this be happening in a European country where people are blue-eyed, blonde hair, they're civilized. Yep. That was the word, civilized. <laughs> yeah, these are the civilized people. Um, when in fact, like the Middle East has been brought, you know, many areas of the Middle East have been brought back to the Stone Ages because of U.S. bombing sprees. You know, science and mathematics was born out of, <laughs> out of, out of a lot of Muslim uh, uh, civilizations. And so the, the media just doesn't give credit uh, to the, the victims of our wars, obviously, because that's who they're trying to justify um, the bombs with. And so that's that's what we're seeing today. Minar, what are you guys going to do going forward? I mean, how are you guys going to maintain and press? I would imagine you have to maneuver around in order to accommodate the changes. But what are those changes going to be for your audience so they would know? Well, you know, we're, we're lucky that we have some funders to help us get, you know, get through these tough times. But, you know, we, we want to be at least 50% funded through our readers and so we, um, you know, I, I'm actually really pushing forward to build a 100% people-funded, uh, nonpartisan anti-war journalism movement and platform. And so what I have done is I've partnered up with the Media Freedom Foundation. It's a First Amendment center to create um, a video project called Behind the Headlines. And I've partnered up with Lee Camp, with Dan Cohen, and we're hoping to bring on more people to create a truly 100% anti-war, nonpartisan journalism outlet that really holds the uh, war establishment account. But we have to make it, uh, we have to do it through the support of our readers and our viewers. Um, And so right now we have our fundraiser on GoFundMe. Our goal is to raise uh, $200,000 in the next couple of months and get that off of the ground. Um, and of course, you know, for Mitt Press to move forward, you know, we have to um, get as much support from our readers to become members and our on our Patreon. But we have to look for even alternatives from these platforms, even from Patreon, because during COVID, uh, Patreon uh, did take down several uh, accounts. And so that's really the, the way forward is to really unite on a broader front of nonpartisanship, because our media specializes in not just only producing propaganda, but in a divide and conquer um, news. It wants to keep people divided based on political lines, race, whatever it is. And so we have to come together and unite on a broader front of, of nonpartisanship. That's the only way forward. It's disturbing, um, to put it mildly. And, you know, like I said, it's like, as I listen to this, I think about my own channel and everything else and imagine how you're feeling, um, about what is going on and not to mention the people who watch you and the people who want to support. And yet, to get that alternative point of view and a contrary point of view than what is basically being put out by everybody else and how that is basically being curtailed. What do you think? I'm curious. And we have about two minutes left, give or take. This notion of the ministry of truth. Do you think this is going to be an end run around the First Amendment, basically, that it allows the government to, I mean, it's part of the government, which is weird in and of itself, right? But beyond that, where companies can say, well, the ministry of truth is saying this. Keep in mind, the ministry of truth is never going to contest any lie that the government is coming out with. So there's that. And NBC News basically was very clear that the government has been lying for these last two months. I would say for decades, but whatever. If they're going to admit to the last two months, I'll take it. 
And so it's like, well, the Ministry of Truth wasn't going to debunk anything that these people said. So what exactly are they going to be debunking? And what it sounds like is just going to be, we don't like certain narratives and certain stories and the Ministry of Truth would be there to say that those are wrong, those are bunk. And other organizations, be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, whatever, choose your pony. We'll be able to use it as a way of basically, it's almost like saying, okay, we can defer to that to determine what's true and what's false. And again, if you're not going to debunk anything that's false coming out of the government, then what are you there for? Yeah, what is your purpose? And so what do you think that's going to end up being? Well, we have to remember that the CIA director, William Burns, already admitted back in a Senate Intelligence Committee hearing in March that the United States is waging an information war on Russia and boasted that it's, you know, that Putin is losing this war. And I think that information war that, that they're talking about is in the United States because we are we are the most propagandized people on this planet here in America with our corporate media. And so I do think that censorship is going to escalate um, even further. I mean, like we, we always say, like, I've never seen this much censorship. Well, it's only going to get worse, in my opinion. Um, and so we really, really have to push back. And unfortunately, we have the left now. Well, the establishment left, I should say are the ones who are pushing this. And it really is a scary times that we're living in. Um, and I, I, as I've said before, our First Amendment is on life support. I mean, this is, this is the end of our First Amendment. And the only way for us to move forward is to break up these big tech giants and to unite on a broader front. I mean, that's it. It's so simple, yet people remain divided they do because of the, the way the corporate media reaches people. I mean, 90% of what we see here and read is owned by like six corporations. That's it. Man, Manar Adley, thank you for this. I appreciate this. She's co-founder or she's founder, I'm sorry, a CEO, editor-in-chief of Mint Press News and producer, host of the Watchdog Journalism video series Behind the Headline. You guys, I want to thank all of you. Great calls today. Great guests for today. I want to thank all of my engineers, our producer. I want to thank my co-host, Manila Chan. Thank our rumblers. Thank our rumblers. All of you guys who called in and watched over the course of the show. I think we hit 400 and something. You guys have awesome. You guys have a fantastic, awesome day. We'll see you guys in the morning. See you soon. Fault lines. 